Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and culture program with the Black uh, Sisters Media Network. And I am just loving this book that I first heard about earlier this year at the Schomburg uh, Reading Series. And it's entitled African American Poetry, 250 Years of Struggle and Song, edited by Kevin Young. And uh, there's a poem I'd like to share this morning before I uh, let you listen to a really wonderful um, program that I hosted last year, September 11th. Um, featuring um, Donna Lisa Fisher, um, professor at San Francisco State University, uh, where she teaches on black popular culture, information technology, and virtual uh, ethnography, and uh, Dr. Dion Bennett, who is assistant professor in African American Studies Department at the City University of New York. And... Uh, yeah, it was a really great conversation. We were centering Tupac Amaru Shakur. And so this poem by Sam Cornish is entitled Harriet in the Promised Land. And it's from the book by Jacob Lawrence. In a red dress, a woman on her knees washes the floor a hundred years ago. She is shaping the life of her children she thinks as a woman, does of freedom, a dark place in the woods where the north enters the trees. She wanders, she wonders if words mean history, a woman losing her children. If reading is a crime, she does not ask for pity. There is a damp rag on the floor. She wipes in, there is a damp rag on the floor. She wipes in the dress she slept in, the dress she had her children in. She scrubs the floor, does not brush her teeth. She picks them with straws or sticks. She moves on her knees and watches the ceiling in the water reflected in the water. Everything in her life is hard like the floor she touches. The water in her hands, the water is between her legs, her body like a sack of muscle. Her hands are dark with water. She wonders about her children, how many children, if she could count, pass her fingers about her body, the words she would find if she could read. She gathers water like sounds in her head. She kneels like a slave in church like a sleigh preparing to dance in front of the big house. She pretends to be quiet. Her mind is grinding glass, pissing in the evening meal. And again, that was Sam Cornish, Harriet in the Promised Land, from the book by Jacob Lawrence. And I had a couple others. <laughs> Uh, there was one I really liked. I think it was Alice Walker. Um, this one here is quite different. It's by Toy Derricott. 
on the turning up of unidentified black female corpses. Mowing his three acres with a tractor, a man notices something ahead, a mannequin. He thinks someone threw it from a car. Closer, he sees it is the body of a black woman. The medics come and turn her with pitchforks. Her gaze shoots past him to nothing. Nothing is explained. How many black women have been turned up to stare at us blankly? In weedy fields, off highways, pushed out in plastic bags, shot, knifed, unclothed partially, raped, their wounds sealed with a powdery crust. Last week on TV, a gruesome face, eyes bloated shut. No one will say she looks like she's sleeping. Ropes of blue-black slashes at the mouth. Does anybody know this woman? Will anyone come forth? Silence. Like a back wave rushes into that field where just the week before four other black girls had been found. The gritty image hangs in the air just for a second, just a few seconds, but it strikes me. A black woman. There is a question being asked about my life. How can I protect myself? Even if I lock my doors, walk only in the light, someone wants me dead. Am I wrong to think if five white women had been stripped, broken, the sirens would wail until someone was named? Is it any wonder I walk over these bodies, pretending they are not mine, that I do not know the killer, that I am just like any woman, if not wanted, at least tolerated? Part of me wants to disappear, to pull the earth on top of me. Then there is this part that digs me up with this pen and turns my sad black face to the light. Yeah, Ashe. And this is again uh, Toy Derricott on the turning up of unidentified black female corpses. And once again, um, both the poems that I've shared so far are from this wonderful anthology of African-American poetry, 250 Years of Struggle and Song by Kevin Young. Kevin Young is the editor, that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a couple more. Uh, hmm I think I have a couple more. <clears throat> yeah, I was uh the one I really liked was um by um Al Young. Miss Al Young, Al Young is with the ancestors now. Um, and also Alice Walker has a really wonderful one. So I'm going to start with Alice Walker and then end with Al Young. Alice Walker's poem is called Women. 
and I guess I should have been giving you page numbers so you can find it. So this one here is on page 568. They were women then, my mama's generation, husky of voice, stout of step, with fists as well as hands, how they battered down doors and ironed starch white shirts, how they led armies, head-ragged generals across mined fields, booby-trapped ditches to discover books, desks, a place for us, how they knew what we must know without knowing a page of it themselves. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Yeah, that's really beautiful. And this one here is uh, Al Young, How Stars Start. And I just love uh, the saying that, you know, we are we are stars. We're the stuff that stars are made from. And so anyway, this one here is uh, on page 571, 572, 5, yeah. Um, how stars start. I don't ask to be forgiven, nor do I wish to be given up. Not entirely, not yet, not while pain is shooting clean through the only world I know, this one. This is no Mal Waldron song or Marlene Dietrich epic in black and white, where to scrawl against the paradigms of time is to mean something benign, like dismissing present actions or behavior, because I know and understand deep down inside and beyond that life itself is acting all of this out, this kamikaze drama, cosmic, if you will, but certainly comic, in a style so common as to invite confusion. Who am I now? What have I become? Where do we draw the line between being who I am and what I ought to be? Need is a needle, nosing its sticky load into my grief, spilling into veins that can't be sown, transforming their dark cells into lighted semblances of relief. The stomach is involved, flesh itself, memories of an island doom that leaves no room for sense or sensitive assessments of truth about myself, which is the me that never changes, which is the me that never changes which is the me, which is the me that never changes. Trying to get that inflection right. There's a question mark here. Which is the me that never changes? He didn't write it five times, folks. (laughs) All roads lead back to starts to where I started out to stars, the fiery beginnings of our ends and means, our meanness and our meanings. There never was a night begun in darkness, nor a single day begun in light. <laughs> Ashe, Ashe, Asheo, Al Young, miss you. So here is um, the rebroadcast of my September 11, 2020 program with, again, Donna Lisa Fisher, Dr. Fisher, and Dion Bennett, Dr. Bennett. You're going to really enjoy this. 
And join us on Friday for another edition of Wanda's Picks. It's going to be a live show. And don't forget our, our folks in the golf. It's still bad down there. And the folks, you know, who are also suffered from the movement of Hurricane Ida across toward the uh, Atlantic. And I was just wondering uh, about, you know, these hurricanes that have female names, Hurricane Ida. Hmm. All righty. <laughs> Peace and blessings. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And I'm back after about a month and a half off. And, um, yeah, we're really happy to um, be uh, interviewing um, Miss Pamela Price again, uh, Esquire. And if you remember our wonderful conversation last, I'm trying to think, was that, was it August 30th? That we we spoke not August thirty, excuse me, except July. Yes, July, <laughs> July. Yes, yes. in a minute. <laughs> and um, and there are a whole lot of things that are happening that you know we definitely want to make sure that people are up to speed on. So for those who who missed that wonderful conversation, which is um, uh, one of the stories in the August uh, San Francisco Bayview, you can read the interview there, or you can listen to it here in the archives. Uh, Civil rights attorney Pamela Price survived the Ohio foster care and juvenile justice systems to graduate from Yale College and UC Berkeley School of Law. She has spent her entire legal career fighting for justice on behalf of women, workers, low-income people, and communities of color, even arguing before the United States Supreme Court. Uh, Pamela Price has the values, commitment, and experience to Achieve true justice in Alameda County, and um, as you know, she is running for district attorney uh, here in Alameda County, and she is our resident. <laughs> After two visits, right? She is our resident legal scholar. That sounds really cool. Um, yeah, and she is um, going to be. We're going to be talking today about a lot of things. Uh, we might not get to all of them, but you know, kind of ambitious. Um, you know, um, the anniversary of um, uh, the day that um, the Twin Towers fell and the Pentagon was bombed. And, gosh, um, we went into this war that seemed like it was never going to end um, September 11th. That's this month. Um, we also just had uh, an assembly uh, seat runoff, um, the uh, uh, the the voting uh, election uh, runoff closed yesterday, um, August 31st. Um, we have a recall of uh, Governor um, Gavin Newsom, which um, that particular ballot needs to be in by the 13th. And, and we, um, those of us that are speaking, I'm speaking right now, we're saying, like, vote no. Don't worry about the other people. We don't know them. Um <laughs> Vote no, and so we're going to talk about that. Ah, oh, gosh, what else is going on? Uh, we got black labor. You know, labor there is coming up, and and we can't talk enough about black labor. You know, it built this country. Um, we've got a reparations task force here in California. <clears throat> we've got the federal HR 40. Um, 
our guest has a birthday coming up, and she's going to have a party. Like, oh, man, John Coltrane was born this month. Um, uh, George Jackson was born this month. Um, yeah, yeah, and this month actually uh, precedes um, October, which is the um, birth month of the Black Panther Party. It is also a month where we uh, call the names of those people that were killed by police. Uh, they have the stolen lives. We've got California wildfires still burning up stuff. Oh, my goodness. Um, we've got this is the year of the political prisoner. Um, and next month there is going to be a tribunal, uh, the 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I don't know. We've got COVID-19 still raging. A lot of kids are getting infected. California is um, is not doing as poorly as other states, but um, there's a lot going on there. So, Miss um, Price, <laughs> um, where do you want to start? Perhaps we can start with um, your introduction and um, talk a little bit about this provocative Statement, you survived the Ohio Foster Care and Juvenile Justice Systems to graduate from Yale College and UC Berkeley School of Law. And then we'll just mosey on down to your birthday party and your campaign and how it's going, and then we'll talk about black labor and see how much time that takes, since I know you only have half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Wanda. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. It is very <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> Yes, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> and yes, we can start with the beginning of the story, which for me was surviving the Ohio juvenile justice and foster care system. You see, I got arrested in a civil rights demonstration when I was 13. And at that point, I was already a ward of the court, what they call in Ohio a ward of the court. So getting arrested as a ward of the court, which means basically I was in the foster care system. I was in the custody of a foster mom who was wonderful, Alice Aaron, who was an activist in her own right um, and very, very supportive of the movement. But she was not happy when I got arrested on her watch, okay? That did not make her look good. And the authorities were not pleased about that. And so, you know, there was definitely some consequences for me, for her, for the whole family that I was living with around that. But we survived. I um, had to go through the juvenile court system, and I walked away from foster care when I was 16 because, as I tell people, I felt like I could do bad by myself, and I could and I didn't need, uh, you know, Child Protective Services or these folks uh, who did not seem to have my best interests at heart. I did not need them helping me out, so I got away from those folks. I think they're probably still looking for me. <laughs> but because of my foster moms, they have three women kept their hands on me, Amy Jenkins, Lorena O'Donnell, and Alice Aaron, and I always give them credit. Because they saw something in me, they wouldn't let me throw my life away. And I tell people, never give up on a kid, because you don't know where that child is going to go or what they're able to accomplish in life. And that's, you know, one of the tenets that I will follow when I'm thinking about and, and living 
with juvenile justice in the criminal justice system is that we can't throw kids away. Mm, yes, definitely. Yeah, we can't throw children away. That is Yeah, that's 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 something that, you know, we need to think about more often. Um you know, how can we throw away a child? I mean, just the idea of that is so horrific. Well, that's what we do in our juvenile justice systems and in the foster care system often, you know, I felt like I know I was a throwaway kid. Nobody expected mm-hmm. me to do anything. And I barely managed to high, graduate from high school. And I'm guided by the, the quote that comes from Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, where he says that none of us want to be judged by the worst thing we've ever done in our lives. And for many of us, the worst thing we've ever done in our lives, we did before we were 18. And we also know that now through the neuroscience that young people's brains are still developing up until age 25. I mean, if you raised a kid, you know at 18, that's just a number, right? (laughs) But in our criminal justice system, we act like 18 is, you know, that's when we get to lock you up if you make a bad mistake. And so we've got to work through uh, a much more progressive view of justice, juvenile justice and criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll have you on when you have more time to talk about um, the foster care system, um, California. I don't know if any state has a great one. Um I don't hear great ones about us, about our foster care system. Um, no, maybe you have some no. good news. No. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. I will share with you at, at one point in my life I took in my two grandsons from who were um, both parents were incarcerated in Wisconsin, and um, my then husband and I made a decision that we would take the two boys and so we did and I mean literally we (laughs) somebody flew into Wisconsin and brought them back to California and it was they were with me for almost four years and then I sent them back to their father and it was six months before the Alameda County foster care system realized that the boys were gone. I got a call six months after I sent them back to their father asking me, you know, to have a home visit. And I was able to let them know, no, no, those children are gone. So for six months, they were not on anybody's radar. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know... um a lot of times families don't get the resources to be able to take care of, um, you know, the children in their family that um, need a, you know, safe and stable living uh, exactly. environment. Exactly. Um, and a lot of times, you know, families want to take care of, of their, their, you know, children, relative children. However, sometimes they just don't have the resources. Um, exactly. But strangers get all kind of money, but family gets nothing. Right, exactly. I mean, we were in a Mm -hmm. position that we could take them and take care of them and not be 
accountable to these folks, you know, which obviously from my background, I was not trying to have them in my life. Um, But you're absolutely right. If we had not had the financial means or the stability to provide them, and that's what became clear Mm -hmm. was that we were the ones in all the family, (laughs) all the family, we were the ones that had the ability to take those boys, and so we did. But everybody's mm-hmm. not able. Yeah, yeah, that happened to me too. I um, had custody of my uh, my my nephew. He was abandoned by my sister here um, mm-hmm. in in Alameda County, and mm-hmm. I couldn't get anything. Couldn't get any kind of. I mean, it took forever to get medical. Um, never got you know psychological. Um, right. Oh my goodness! I mean, it was just no support. None. Yeah. Yeah. And and then and then when and then when he left because he didn't like, you know, my rules mm-hmm. the place where he went was horrible. Mm-hmm. Yet they got all kind of money, took him out of all the programs that I had put him in, you know. <laughs> right. Um, right. All kind of great programs, right. you know, with black yeah. male role models and mm-hmm. you know, all kind of good programs we had because we have a lot of good programs in Alameda County. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, we moved him from all of those, and uh, yeah, he ended up getting a, a conviction from the associations that he made there. I mean, he's doing okay now, but man, it's crazy. Yeah, Absolutely. the lack of family support. Trust me, it's it it is outrageous, and too often mm-hmm. our our kids end up in the criminal justice system because we're not we don't have a good safety net to support the families. And efforts mm-hmm. at families, and I'm, we have to come back and talk about mental health issues because we see that same pattern where you have folks that are either severely mentally uh, ill or suffering from some type of addiction or mental health crisis, and the family is the one that's bearing the burden, and they're not getting the support. Mhm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we, you know, we can, you know, the Richter scale sort of moves from, you know, <clears throat> anger. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. anger yeah. can be debilitating. Um yeah. to to other types of um of uh mental health, you know, issues that, you know, require medication perhaps or, you know, um more um supervision. Mhm. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of this stuff is preventable. I mean, you know, you take away certain kinds of resources like housing, you know, from a person, and 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 that within itself creates a mental health crisis. Exactly. You know, all of a sudden and you have so nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You're so right. The anger, particularly our children, are susceptible to that, to seeing mm-hmm. things that are wrong that they don't understand that they become angry. And, again, I go back to my experience as a foster kid and being in the juvenile justice system. I was angry at the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., just livid, and that mm. took me on a different path. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, the time is ticking away. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> Anna. Happier note. You got a birthday coming up, I hear? I 
do. I do. I'm excited. I have a birthday coming up. I thank God I'm still here. It's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, September 25th, we're going to have a birthday party, um, and it's you know we're acknowledging that uh, the ancestors and the Lord has brought me this far, and and that there's still more to come. So, yeah, save the date, September 25th. We're going to get it on the wire. We are have a host committee in formation, and, uh, you know, we're going to have a, a – it'll be re- virtual because of the pandemic. We acknowledge that this is a problem and that so many people, particularly black and brown people, are very, very vulnerable, and we have to be mindful of it. So we, we're adjusting to the times. Okay, <clears throat> so we need to stay tuned. So should people just um, follow your website, uh, Pamela Price for yes, DA Enumerable Board? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. You can follow follow us on the website. You can follow us at uh, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs> okay, all, of that. all right. Yes. <laughs> okay, so what do you want for your birthday? What do I want for my birthday? Peace of mind. The world is so troubling. I'm 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 troubled and weighed down by, you know, what's happening in Louisiana. Concerned about the million people that are there without power. I'm concerned about the refugees or not even the refugees, the indigenous people of Afghanistan that are caught in the middle of a political, you know, upheaval. Um, I'm concerned about still being, you know, very seriously impacted by this COVID-19 and variant and pandemic. Um, so we got a lot going on. And in these times, it's as I survey the things and, and doing what I'm doing and recognizing, feeling helpless about a lot of things that I can't, you know, I'm looking at what's happening in Texas things that we can't influence. And so I think for me, if I can get to my birthday with peace of mind, I'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm looking forward to your your birthday. Looking forward to um continuing, you know, to support your um your run for Alameda County District Attorney office. Thank and you. speaking Thank of which, so um Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People should put some money at you know, like, you know, like it's nice to support, but you need money, so people should yeah, go and for my birthday you can make a contribution, <laughs> <laughs> contribution to the campaign because that's as we're gonna I'm gonna segue us right on into this state assembly runoff because that's what we find for elections are won by money and name recognition. Bottom mm. line. Uh, we had two very qualified candidates for running for state assembly, and the one who won had the most money and the most name recognition. And that's unfortunately how our political system is structured. And so as I'm running for DA, I'm recognizing I have to raise the money and I've got to have name recognition. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So Mia Bonta won? 
Miyabanta won last night. The numbers are not final yet, but uh, it's she has a significant lead, and the likelihood is that she will win the seat. Mm. And right. um, you know Gosh. she had all of the money. <laughs> that, she had a uh, lot of money. Oh my she goodness! She had a lot of money. I got ten mailers. The ten mailers. And each mailer, depending on the universe that you, of people who you mail to, each mailer could easily cost you thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars. So mm. ten mailers mm. means you know we're looking at least the numbers will be public eventually. They're not yet public, but at least three hundred fifty thousand dollars was spent on mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got lots. And they were in color, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. And di- yeah. all kind of different pieces. And then you add that to the budget for television. I mean, people were telling me they saw the, you know, you could see her television ads during the Olympics. <laughs> uh, oh. Full-page newspaper ads, I saw those. Um, a lot, a lot of money was spent. On this election, at one point, I really felt like, wow, if we had, you know, this much money, 700000 a million dollars spent on helping the homeless people in Alameda County, that would mm-hmm. be great. You know, that really would be yeah. a great investment. But that's not what we do in our political world. So it's money and name recognition is what wins elections still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was really sad, and and people don't do their research. It's, um, it's basically, um, you know, advertisements. That's how people mm-hmm. vote. They don't yeah. try to mm-hmm. figure out who's behind the ad. They just like, no. I see this a lot. This must be good. Or I see this a lot. Let me vote yes. Or let me right. fill in this little bubble. Right. I see this person's picture with this other person's picture. Oh, well, I'll mm-hmm. vote for that person. <laughs> right, right, exactly. No research at all. Yeah, it's a big marketing mm-hmm. um, endeavor, and it just costs money. If you have a lot of money, you can market, you can send out flyer after flyer after flyer after flyer, and you're right, people don't have time to research, and they say, oh, well, you know, I'm getting all of these mailers, and I don't know who this other person is. She didn't send me a mailer, so I must be supposed to vote for this one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, that election is over, and now we have a bigger challenge ahead of us, very important challenge, um, which is the recall. And Mm -hmm. that election may also turn on who spends the most money. Although it's interesting to me in Alameda County, I don't. It does not appear, and maybe because I'm in the 18th Assembly District, but it certainly doesn't appear that the Democratic Party or the governor is spending a lot of money on this election. I just saw my first television ad um, just in the last week. Um, I haven't gotten anything in the mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, So it would appear that the Democrats are just starting to rev up, certainly in Alameda County. There's been a focus on the AD-18 race, so we're just starting to get engaged 
in the um, in the governor's in the recall. But the last day to register to vote by mail in the recall was actually Monday. And, oh no! Um, oh, yeah, no. it was. But you can still register and vote um, conditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the county, um, you have to go to the elections office now, um, mm-hmm. and you can register on the day of. But it's you know provisional, what we used mm-hmm. to call provisional. They're calling conditionally. And if you have a vote, everybody who was registered received a vote-by-mail ballot. And so Mm -hmm. that ballot has to be – and if you didn't receive one, but you are registered, you can request a vote-by-mail ballot up until next Tuesday. It has to be done within this next week. You can um, send in a request to the registrar voters. Otherwise, you have to go down to the registrar voters and – Register and then ballots that were received in the mail have to be postmarked by next by the 14th. So we have 13 days in which to get everyone to to return their ballot in order to mm-hmm. prevent the Republicans from essentially taking control of the California economy and the California government. And as we see across the country, Republicans have done a very good job of targeting states um, and taking control. And we see the outcome in Texas where, you know, the Texas legislatures, the Democratic legislatures keep having to leave town (laughs) to stop the Republican-controlled legislature from passing uh, voter restriction laws, as well as birth control laws, they're changing the face of Texas because they control that legislature. And so often that has been the Republican game plan, is not to focus on the national offices, although they held the national office. They focused on the states, and they've been doing that for at least a decade. And so California is the latest target where they have funded. Now, they have spent a huge amount of money to fund the recall effort. And if if the recall passes, then California is basically going to become under the reign of the Republican Party, which is, mm-hmm. you know, less than 20% of the people in this state are Republican voters. But they will control California. So we're asking people to vote no on the recall and to be sure to get that ballot in because anything less will subject the whole state to chaos. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, because there um uh yesterday um I was at a um California uh state teachers um um phone call um meeting and uh and the governor was one of the special guests along with the um uh physician who's over um, health. Uh, she's out mm-hmm. of San Francisco. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember her name, um, but she she uh, gave some really good information. Um, and he was talking. Uh, the governor uh, was talking about what the Republicans say are going to be their first order of business. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna remove the masking um, uh, ordinance that you know you have to use have masks 
inside businesses. They're gonna that's gonna be one of their first things they're gonna change. As well as around as well as um, I believe um, something to do with abortion. I mean, they're just gonna just go down the list and just change and you know sort of reverse a lot of legislation. Yeah. And he can, if the leading person is a person named Larry Elder, because he has name recognition within the group of people that know him, um, he believes that sexism doesn't exist. He doesn't believe that racism exists. He doesn't believe that police um, misconduct exists. Um, He has made... Uh, crazy comments about women, domestic violence. He thinks that's exaggerated. He thinks police brutality is exaggerated. Um, He does not believe in the minimum wage. And he has the ability to sign on day one executive orders that um, abolish the minimum wage, that abolish uh, laws to protect women, and it's um, a very real problem. I mean, we will obviously there will be legal challenges, but the whole state will be in turmoil if this person is elected. And I have really no I, no explanation how he became the front runner, other than money and name recognition is what wins elections. Hmm. Yeah. And so it's so important what we're saying is that you can't vote no and then vote on one of these people. You have to just vote no. We have to just straight, you know, defeat the recall so that this none of these other folks have an opportunity to get in there. Right. Larry Elder also thinks racism is exaggerated. I mean, this man is a dangerous person in terms of his thinking and he doesn't represent the views of Californians. Mm-hmm. He said he does not believe that, um, you know, in trying to reduce the footprint of incarceration in this state. And he's already said he will target all progressive prosecutors, <laughs> such as George Gascon and Chase Boudin. Mm-hmm. And since I'm going to be the next district attorney of Alameda County, I guess I'll be on that list as well if he wins. <laughs> And mm-hmm. and the challenge is once he, if he were to win, if any of these people were to win, once you become the incumbent, you then have the power to use the resources of the state to further um, become entrenched in the position. And I, I have no doubt that we would be able to defeat him in the June 2022 primary, which, again, will the the there will be a primary in June of 2022 in which we will elect another governor. We will elect, hopefully we will reelect Governor Newsom, but we will not, hopefully we will not have to defeat someone like Larry Elder or some other person that is really out of step with the values and the vote, the voters of this state. Yeah. <clears throat> Wow, yeah, well, I certainly hope um, people go out and, you know, and vote no because it's so confusing with all of those other names on the back of the ballot. Um, yes. The people don't know what to do with it. And like you said, right. there's no guidance. 
um, right. anywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like until right now, and it might be, you know, a lot of people have already voted. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we got a late like, think, start. Yeah, 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 and and I, it doesn't make sense why, um, you know, these people like who could do something uh, like you know Gavin's machine, you know, they're they're not rookies. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what happened other than I know in 8018 there was a huge distraction uh, with our senior officials trying to make sure that um, that Assembly District 18 seat was preserved in a particular way. Um, So maybe we're just not getting the bulk of the attention. Maybe they were focusing on other places (laughs) around the state. But you're absolutely right. In Assembly District 18, the Democrats are getting a very, very late start, and many people have already voted. The ballots were out, you know, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I, I wanted, to, you know, I, I know they start counting, and I wanted to be in those numbers. Well, the early voting is da da da, because I, mm-hmm. I called you. Like what do I do? <laughs> and right. it was sitting by right. my ballot was sitting by the front door, un you know not sealed yet, waiting mm-hmm. for your response. Okay, don't vote for any of them. Like okay, so I pass it on to my little family. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But that's like that's five people. That's not a lot of people. And yeah. then when you no. sent that really mm-hmm. wonderful um, uh, email about yesterday's uh, assembly um, runoff, I I forwarded that to my people. Those good, who had good. called Thank me, because um, yeah. that was really, really informative. Mm-hmm. However, you know that's just like that's not a lot of people. I hadn't yeah. even watched to see who won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just hoping, right. you know, yeah. that it wasn't the Bonta machine. Like, oh my goodness, like yeah. we got a little machine happening now. Oh, we have a big machine happening in Alameda County. <laughs> if you if you start to take stock of it, you will see. And and that's the power of incumbency. Rob Bonta was in that seat for twelve years, ten years, and so he had the opportunity to to create you know a network of folks that are now um, you know supporting his wife, who will hold the seat as the incumbent probably for the next twelve years. Twelve years? That long? Yeah. yeah. That's long. Yeah. That's... It is long. Oh. It's very long. It's very wow. long. As the incumbent, she will not be challenged by a Democratic person, and there are very few Republicans, you know, not enough Republicans in Alameda County to support a challenge, a viable challenge. But uh, once you're elected, she has the right to hold the seat for 12 years, and she will receive the support of the Democratic, um, you know, party for the next 12 years. Wow. Wow. Wow, I didn't know it was going to be for so long. Turn out to vote. We told people, I told people, turn out to vote. Whoever wins this seat will hold this seat for 12 years. Mm, dang, that's really, really long. Yeah, wow, yeah, because um, I, I didn't vote for her. Um, um, I voted for the other um, candidate. Um, 
Yeah, wow. Oh, man. Well, Janani Ramachandran ran a great campaign. She obviously touched the hearts and the minds of many people in Assembly District 18 and beyond. Um, You know, she ran a a good race, but the... um, you know the the voters have spoken. Mia Bonta is now <laughs> will be the assembly person for the next twelve years. <laughs> when you think about it, that is a long time, and it's you know it's it's uh, it it. I don't know if it speaks well for our district. We will see. Mm. She says yeah, she's going to yeah. do a lot of things, so we will see. Hopefully, as as the voices of those who are concerned about moving the district forward will be heard um and you know she will be able to pull people together who may not have supported her but who are you know very concerned about the issues of the day i know i heard a lot of comments about criminal justice reform uh janani endorsed me early as the next district attorney and hopefully um, at some point Mia Bonta will, you know, get involved in those issues as well in our district, which are very, um, very, very challenging when you look at the many of the problems that we face in Alameda County with respect to over-policing and over-criminalization and gun violence. These things are happening in a lot in the 18th Assembly District. And I'm hoping that as a as a responsible representative of those of us who live here, that she will get involved in those issues and and really have a positive influence on the on the conversation as well as helping with some legislation that we need for sure. Um, Rob Bonta carried um, the first bail reform legislation at the urging of progressives. Um, a lot of us who urged him to do that back in, oh, I think it was 2017, we asked him to do that. And so hopefully Mia Bonta will be a partner in that and will listen to the voices of those who are most impacted, which is what led to the defeat of SB10 at the ballot was that so many of the issues that were implicit, you have to be very mindful when you're bringing in a new reform that you're not creating a bigger problem. And I think the legislature got to be tone deaf on that question. Um, But hopefully she will be um, able to hear those kinds of uh, criticisms and and respond to them appropriately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And people need to realize that even if, um, you know, your candidate didn't win, that doesn't mean that you need to throw in the towel. No, you need to, you know, let the representative know that they work for us. It doesn't matter who oh, voted for sure. in. Exactly, mm-hmm. right. And and when we look at, you know, one of the challenges that uh, I think politicians need to recognize, when you win an election where less than 20% of the people vote, you still have to represent the other 80%. Mhm. So right now for this race we're sitting at a less than at 16% of the people voted. 16% of, you know, our registered we have over almost 300,000 people registered to vote in uh the 18th assembly district and 
only uh, less than 50,000 people have actually voted. So we expect that number will go up, but it's still 80% of the people did not vote in this election. So, But those people are part of that we live here. So, you know, you got to represent all of the electric, not just the people who voted for you. Mhm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are out of time. Um so do you have a few moments to talk about black labor and sure. anything coming up for Labor Day that we should know about and uh want to let our audience know that we're speaking to um Ms. Pamela Price, who is uh, uh, running for district attorney for the county of Alameda. And so you need to go to her website, um, Pamela Price for the numeral 4DA.com, and read all about her and see how you can get involved. Because as we're talking about this, uh, you know, the assembly uh, runoff that just concluded and the uh, recall for the governor of California um, involvement um, is how we we shape electoral results. So we can't just sit back and just let stuff just move. Because <laughs> it might move in a direction you don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And our issues need to be brought to the forefront when we're looking at, um, well, we ha- we have to come back to some of the issues that will are facing us in Alameda County now that we have a black Latina representative in the state assembly and how what difference will that make to us on the ground I think that's where we I'd like to put a pin in that conversation and spend mm-hmm. yes the last few minutes talking about black labor we're coming up on labor day and labor unions have been have have had a conflicted history in in our country and and in Alameda County as well. We know that having uh labor unions is a huge uh foundation for progressive and economic um advancement for many people. I as an employment lawyer, I hear so many horror stories of people every day who are being challenged in their employment and being treated unfairly. And when it's not illegal, it doesn't violate the the um, the, la- the disc- anti-discrimination laws. I have to tell them, do you have a union? Because that's who is supposed to fight for you. Unions set the standard for fairness in any employee in any employment context. And so you have to have an MOU or a, a collective bargaining agreement that provides for fairness for workers, that provides for a living wage for workers. And so we, as a country, have really benefited from the labor movement. And black folks have been at the heart of that. And not sometimes there's been conflicts, yes, because not all the time does do the labor unions in some places and some circumstances labor unions have in fact been part of the problem have excluded black folks and that's why we do have and have had uh black organizers and black um folks black trade unionists and uh in our area we've been blessed to have one of the largest working class unions that have impacted this region and have been predominantly black and brown, and that's the ILWU. 
uh, international laborers um, and longshoremen and warehousemen union has been a major force in this area for um, holding down the economic opportunities available to black folks traditionally and still today. Um, the um, Launa Labor Union is predominantly in this area, is predominantly Latinx, and so they've been a huge driver of economic opportunity for brown and black folks. And so we want to celebrate labor across the board, and in particular, we want to honor the the role that black workers have played in making labor not only stronger, but making it more responsive to the needs of uh, racial minorities in this country, because our voices have needed to be heard in the labor movement, and we have been heard in the labor movement. So it's a great time to celebrate labor um, coming up on Labor Day this weekend to remember uh, the value and the strength of labor and the power of labor unions and organizing because often um, folks, workers that were not organized, were just exploited until the labor movement became strong. And the labor movement has always been made stronger by black workers. Yes, yes. Wow, this has been such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And thank you so much for the extra, extra, you know, ten minutes or so. Um, of course. And uh, look, looking forward to um, to your party on September twenty fifth. Uh, again, folks need to go to your website, Pamela Price, the numeral four da dot com, to. Um, to find out more about about your work, and again, you know, all of the social media handles have your um, Pamela Price for DA, so you can, you know, sign up on Twitter and all those other places, Facebook, yeah. TikTok, yeah. and um, most of the, Instagram. the social media says <laughs> Pamela Price cares. If you Google Pamela Price cares, you will find me. And we adopted that years ago because I really care about this community and I care about the people I represent and I care about the folks who are listening to you. And together, Wanda, we are going to make a huge difference and a step forward for Alameda County. So thank you for having me, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the light that you're shining in places where we need more light. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the day. Okay, you too, sweetie. Take care. Thank Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye. Uh, So, again, um, stop the Republican recall vote no, September 14th or sooner. And I was just trying to figure out what am I going to, uh, what am I going to play Um (laughs) <laughs> uh for the few minutes we have before um before our next guest joins us and I was thinking hmm like do I play something about the Black Panther party and then I was thinking ah Black Panther um you know the um the movie and I don't know if you all remember that I had um um I had a series of conversations um with folks about about the Black Panther 
um, film, and one of those uh, conversations was with uh, Tomei, Esperl, and Josh. And so anyway, I'm going to gonna play a little bit of that. I was thinking about playing, oh, man, I got so much. That was great. <laughs> that that um, could 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 be a, something nice to play, but I want to, um, I need to start. Oh, and I was also thinking about an interview with Judy Juanita um, about her um, her book, which uh, sort of looks at the Black Panther Party um, from a, a female perspective. Oh, you know, that might be a good idea. Hmm. Let's see. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll, maybe we'll do Judy Juanita. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I just don't know. Um, yeah, uh, Virgin Soul. That was back in 2013 that we spoke. So, um, and the time is ticking away, and now we only have 10 minutes. Hmm. I need to decide. God, we have some. I could uh, write. I could play something from Clarence Jones, who was Dr. King's attorney, and uh, smuggled out that letter from the Birmingham jail. <laughs> I need to play something. Oh, and then we got Laura Elaine Ellis, and she was. She had this really great. Um, um, we had a great conversation about Soul to Soul, which was. A piece that she um, uh, co-curated. Um, that was really, really a good program too. Hmm. So I think I'm gonna go with uh, Judy Juanita, just because I need to do something. Um, and uh, yeah. So let's hopefully um, there'll be enough here for you to sort of whet your your appetite, and you could go back in the archives. And listen to the rest of it. Again, that was April 19th, um, 2013, that I spoke to Judy Juanita. So, Ms. Judy Juanita, congratulations on your first novel, Virgin Soul. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how you do it all. I mean, you write plays, and they've been produced here in the Bay Area as well as in New York City, and you write poetry, and you had short fiction, but this is your first novel. Yes, yes, but everything one at a time. <laughs> right, right, and then you're a teacher. Oh, my goodness, how do you do that? You've been teaching at Laney College, those lucky students. Yes, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, you keep your day, you keep that gig going, I think because you probably love passing it on, huh? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and also, I love eating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on now. Uh, with all the publishing that you've done, you know, novels, plays, et cetera. Very little money coming in um, up until the advance for the novel. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, no. There, it, it was not a money arrangement at all. Uh, all the plays, playwriting definitely hmm. takes a lot of, really a lot of money to get a put a play up. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult. And poetry is free, as any poet knows. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> but then the novelist, oh, my goodness. So you're going to be um, being nominated, I'm sure, for the uh, the Bay Area um, uh, Literary Awards that happens um, in April uh, by the, uh, the Book Reviewers Association. Well, that would be for last year's books. So 
maybe it would have No, 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 I meant, no, I meant for this coming year, the 14, 2014, that's what I'm talking right. about. Yeah, because right. your book um, is uh, hitting the streets, um, when, next week? Today. Oh, today. Uh-huh. Yes, that's right. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. April 18th. Available in bookstores everywhere. Yeah, and folks are going to be able to hear you read from your book and talk about it at Books, Inc. tomorrow evening in Alameda at 7 o'clock, yes. Friday, April 19th. Yes. Yeah, and then you'll be in, you'll be in um, you know, Earth Day, the 20th, you'll be in Los Angeles at the Festival of Books. That sounds fun. Right, 20th and the 21st. Festival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You'll be back up here in Berkeley and San Francisco and Oakland. A couple so of a places. Big, uh, a big book signing on May 4th mm-hmm. at 2 p.m. That's Saturday, May 4th at the um, 57th Street Gallery. Gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you going to have some music, too? Um, not really. Um, there may be someone playing a little bit, but we're going to have a panel discussion oh. with uh, some friends of mine who were Panthers, and we were Panthers together. Ah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, who's going to be on the panel with you? Uh, the real Clarence Thomas. Do you know? Do you know the real Clarence Thomas? Yeah, Clarence Thomas. Yeah, he's a yes. union organizer. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Clarence Thomas and I were husband and wife for many years. Oh. Yeah, okay. and we have a beautiful son together, so he's going to be there. Okay. And ben, Benny Stewart, mm-hmm. who was a, the, one of the co-founders and presidents of the Black Student Union, and he's also a community organizer. Mm-hmm. And uh, Janice Garrett-Forte, who was my my roommate and is still my very good friend, and she was Bobby Seale's original assistant and scheduler. Wow. wow. Yes. Hmm. And some others. And they would, you know, they would be there. So, oh, this would so be very interesting, very lively. Oh, certainly, certainly. So that's two o'clock on um, Saturday, um, May fourth. Yes. At the Fifty Seventh Street Gallery, which is on Fifty Seventh and Telegraph okay. in Oakland. And then um, you're going to be in June. You're going to be at the Peralta Hacienda Historical Park. That's yes. at two o'clock as well, Saturday, June second. And my daughter and I are part of the current exhibit there, Oakland oh, Telling yes. Their Stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, interesting. That should be nice. That's a wonderful, um, wonderful space that and Holly Alonso and her incredible. her folks have kept going in these slim economic times for arts organizations. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you answered a couple of my questions, and you're telling me about the um, the the big panel because I was wondering how do you know all these things? How does your character? You know, you're a Janice girl. How does she know all this? And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 I mean, there, there are places your imagination can go, and there's a whole lot of research you can do. But Janice is certainly an insider. <laughs> yes. I, I read a review, a blog review, which was very wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then he said, the only thing is uh, the author inserts herself in these scenes with Eldridge Cleaver and Huey Newton, and that's that's a weakness of the story. And otherwise, it was really glowing, and I just laughed to myself, you know, because I wanted to say, "Dude, I was there. Mm-hmm. I wow. was editor in chief wow. of the party newspaper for a time. I was appointed by Huey Newton. I I did know Huey Newton at Oakland City College, mm-hmm. you know, but." This is a time to make that clear then. <laughs> wow, wow. I well, did. Yeah, go ahead. Keep on going. <laughs> and I did meet 
um, I was I did meet Huey and Bobby at Oakland City College, mm-hmm. which was its name uh, before it was Merritt College and before it was the Grove Street campus. Mm-hmm. And I entered college at 16, which you know as a teacher at Laney, I mean at uh, at College of Alameda, mm-hmm. we have many students who come at a at a very early age. Either they're coming through advanced placement or the schools are just sending them there. But mm-hmm. I graduated from high school at 16 and enrolled at Oakland City right away. Mm-hmm. Wow. Met, met Huey there. Uh, I was not a radical during my first two years there. I was strictly concentrating on getting out. Mm-hmm. But I loved watching and listening to the radicals. It was purely entertainment. We, we left class. We, we went to class. After class, we went back out on the front lawn on what was then Grove Street, Mm-hmm. listen to all of the soapbox orators go on and on and on. And it was really just laughs for us at that time. I didn't know I was imbibing radicalism. Um, we were just fascinated. They were smart. They could talk a mile a minute. Um, they were older. We respected them. They were they were geniuses. Mm-hmm. One of them is named Ernest Allen. He, we called him Ernie Allen then. He's a professor at uh, UMass, uh, um, and his his younger brother, Doug Allen, uh, wrote Sugary Rising, the novel. That oh, just, yeah, Jesse. Yes, yeah, Jesse. Yeah, and I knew him as Doug. I grew up with them in East Oakland. Wow, yeah, I just had Jesse on my show. I had to have him on twice. I might have him on for a third time to talk about Sugary. Yeah, we talked about the, um, the female characters the last time we spoke, which was... Uh, Earlier this month, um, although this month is still still early, <laughs> it's like the middle of it. Um, yeah, wow. So, so <laughs> this was a scene, and and we just loved watching it, along with all of the other things that we did at Oakland City College. It was it was the place to be. It was very hip. It was very um, it was a party scene, always continuously, um, and. To be 16 when I started was uh, quite a uh, an energizing uh, moment in my life. So mm-hmm. I was paying attention to everything, and I was writing on the school paper as usual. I always wrote on school papers from junior high school on. Mm-hmm. So I had a chance then to convince my editor, as the Janice does in the book, mm-hmm. that to let me write about these. Uh, student radicals. Yeah. And that's when I went and to interview them and found out that most of them weren't students there. They they were just um, militants and they were activists. Um, but but I found out that they were geniuses and they had they had degrees and you know many of them went on to get further degrees but it was just an interesting moment in time however uh i didn't know that i was being um in a sense watched or tracked mm-hmm. but uh many some years later when i was active in the panther party and there was this shootout in west oakland i had been helping Eldridge Cleaver with the newspaper, 
and after the shootout when Eldridge was jailed and little Bobby was killed, then Huey appointed me uh, editor-in-chief of the paper in Eldridge's absence. Mm-hmm. So the, it was a totally total surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much at that moment, just like in the book, everything really changed, you know. Mm-hmm. My my life just took a 180-degree change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about some of the uh, the famous people that you um, have your character, um, uh, Geneva, Anise Hightower, hanging with um, uh, Mary Baraka and his wife, um, whom we know now as Amina, right? Yes. And yes. Uh, right there, we met them at the Black House. Oh, okay. That was um, he was an adjunct faculty member. Mm-hmm. We brought him on campus, and he helped us uh, get a Black Arts troupe started. Hmm. And I was a part of that. I was pretty much the opener all the time, mm-hmm. reading poetry. Mm-hmm. So we traveled up and down the the peninsula. In, in and around most of the, the larger cities with black populations in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And then what about um, the um, uh, the San Francisco State part? Um, where did you have, did you work at San Francisco State in the um, emissions? Um, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> And, and so, and, and like your character is responsible for getting, uh, making uh, the recommendation and that more African-American students be admitted. Was yes. That, did that, that, that happen for real? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. You know, they, I, were, they were going to say, let's try for 40 students. Mm-hmm. And I explained the 2% rule, and I said, why don't we do 400? Wow, wow. So how do you remember all this? Were you keeping a journal or something? Yes, I didn't oh, okay. at the time, but about two years after I had graduated from San Francisco State, I by then had been married to Clarence Thomas, whom we called Buzz at the time. So Buzz and I were married. We had this beautiful little son named Juno, and... Um, And so I was home for a bit. Mm -hmm. I started writing down all these recollections. I realized how important the era was. Mm -hmm. And basically, in a notebook, I just wrote down every single name, every single nickname, the ways that people greeted each other, which which were totally unique. That's that's what I was doing. I was just kind of remembering. I was just notating everything that I remembered, uh, and um, and then right after that I began writing stories, and I did have a grandiose idea about a novel at that time, but I really didn't have the the uh, the craft to write a novel at that point. Mm-hmm. But I I just shelved it, and. I kept returning to it about every decade because mm-hmm. I'd get more skills, more writing skills. But it just didn't gel for a This is a part of Chicago that doesn't get talked about. Yes. 
Yeah, my mama was in the federal penitentiary when she took that picture. Styling on them. I have a whole family here who I know needs protecting in a way that they've never been protected. I'm a doctoral student organizing towards black freedom. I really want my research surrounded in how we can envision what safety looks like outside of law enforcement. There's been a major development in the police shooting of 22-year-old African-American woman, Rakia Boyd. <laughs> Black women do a lot of thankless and undervalued work. We take it back! We take it back! Our entire existence is resistance. It's like an exacerbated level of commitment. It's very new, this idea of this being work. This has always been life. Unapologetic, uh, Ashley O'Shea's directorial debut, and uh, hopefully this is her uh, in the studio. Good morning. Welcome to Wanda's Picks. Good morning. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Ashley, how are you? I'm making it. I'm making it. (laughs) (laughs) What a wonderful document. Oh, my goodness. Your film is... So powerful. You fit a whole lot into such a short, I mean, it's like not short, short, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just put so much in like an hour and how much? An hour and 24 minutes? or what is Yeah, yeah. But your team, I mean, you have so many, so many people. Like people. <laughs> I've never seen this many interns before. Like, like where did they come from? Like, oh. And you list every well, last one of them, like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's part of the support from Cartemquin Films, but all of those interns were not specifically on Unapologetic, to be clear. You just, We just have to list everyone. <laughs> oh, come on. But, yeah, I had a great team. I had a great support. <laughs> yeah, and, wow, and you are just such an artist with your camera. Um, oh, man, you were everywhere. Thank you. <laughs> I, I try to I try to keep a diverse picking, stay sharp on my skills, you know, try to mm-hmm. try to go between different parts of the industry. So always learning and always creating something new when I can. Yeah, yeah. So you are director producer, um uh based in Chicago, Illinois, whose work focuses on illuminating marginalized voices. You have collaborated with a number of national brands, including Nike, Vox, Wilson Tennis, and Dr. Martins. Most recently, you filmed an international commercial spot for Wilson Tennis with over 1 million views in digital markets. In 2020, you captured the final episode of Dr. Martins' Tough As You series starring the band Phony PPL, accruing over 65 is that thousand? Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. Views on social and web media. Your work has also appeared in a critically acclaimed Lifetime uh, docu-series, Surviving R. Kelly. <laughs> Although uh, you have crafted many short films, Unapologetic, as we already mentioned, is your first feature uh, venture into the feature world. Your first venture into the feature world. And the film premiered at the 2020 Black Star Film Festival and was shortlisted for the International Documentary Association Awards. Um, did you get it, the uh, International Association Award? We did not receive it, but being shortlisted was an honor enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you write a really, really wonderful um um, artist statement. I was just wondering if um, you could talk about the winter of 2012 and uh, and you know where you were and what you were up to and um, and what happened and then what happened three years later and how you met um, Janae uh, Bonsu um, and Bella Boss. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. So yeah, I think in my director's statement, um, you know, I talk about the the um the killing of Rakia Boy, which who was a young black woman in Chicago that was killed in twenty twelve by um an off duty police officer. Um and how um when that was occurring or when that occurred in the city at the time I was in my um you know, second quarter of my freshman year at in undergrad and um while I was in undergrad, that was really the first time that I started to, I think, understand my my um, voice as an activist and as an advocate for the movement for Black Lives, um, and just really like started to gain the language to talk about um, to talk about kind of how Black people are being, you know, oppressed or, or um, brutalized in in the U.S. Um, and so, um, and at the time, I didn't. You know, I wasn't aware of of the case of Rakia Boyd, um, but I think that same year the the killing of Trayvon Martin happened, and and that was really um, kind of like a touch point for the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and really catapulted that phrase and that um, the theory into into the common space. So so yeah, fast forward three years after that, in the fall of 2015. Um, when I was done with school or I had just finished school and that was around the time that young black people in Chicago were continuing to organize um, around the killing of Rakia Boyd. Um, they had attempted to um, to charge the officer via the, the criminal legal system and um, because of semantics, basically, he was able to, um, it was deemed a mistrial and he was able to avoid accountability that way. So young black folks were were um, kind of centering their efforts on getting him fired from the Chicago police force, um, and so I was I was at the time just I was looking um, for my my voice in the in the film space in Chicago, um, but I was also really aware of of what was happening um, in a lot of these different community organizing spaces, or at least I was I was beginning to become aware. Um, and so I began to ideate on this film not only about the movement that was happening in Chicago, but also told from the, the very specific perspective of black women 
um, because that was something that I noticed almost immediately when I was when I was observing what was happening um, with with the community. And so that's when I I, I just like sent a cold email to Janae um, because she was a leader in in one of the organizations. And um, you know, once I found out her her journey into into a PhD program and how she was only 24 years old at the time. Um, that really piqued my interest immediately um, just to see how she was going to balance all of that. Um, and then shortly after, um, there was another hallmark moment with the, the killing of the tape. The tape of the killing of Laquan McDonald was released in Chicago. And that was sort of the moment where I was like, oh, okay, this may be bigger than just one moment or one leader. Um, and so I met Bella not too long after that, after she, um, after one of her performances, um, and, you know, it was just immediately, it was so electrifying and I was immediately, um, uh, kind of drawn towards her. Um, and of course, once I found out about her family's long history on the West side of Chicago and in the community, um, really was excited to explore that further. So. Yeah. Yeah. And um and you um you're not a Chicago native. Um how I mean I know you were at Northwestern uh, University's uh film program and that's where you graduated and then I presume you stayed obviously to make the film. Um so I'm wondering like where where did you like where did you grow up? Where are you from? Where are your people from? Uh-oh. Yeah, so I, um, I'm i originally from Indianapolis. Um, okay. Yeah, but I went to, um, yeah, I'm originally from Indianapolis, um, spent all, you know, the first 18 years of my life there, um, and was always um, in black community, uh, and, and, and really I started to cultivate my love for filmmaking um, while I was there, um, I, I took part in this like teen media training program um, in Indianapolis when I was when I was in high school, and um, that's really where I started to learn kind of like all the different roles that um, someone can have on a film set or in the film industry, and so that's when I um, so I I just kept leaning into that further and further um, to the point where I even like went to a film program at Northwestern while I was still. Um, in high school, and so that kind of was like my first introduction to to Northwestern, and got me excited about the the film program. And then, um, so when I was deciding on schools, that was a big a big factor in my decision. Um, but yeah, originally from Indianapolis, um, my my mother's side of the family is originally from Alabama, so I have a lot mm-hmm. of Southern ties as well. Um, but I've been lucky enough to call Chicago home. Um, for the past ten or so years now, so so mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of claim Chicago, but they're very serious <laughs> about about who's a native and who's not. So I I, I try to be as transparent <laughs> as possible about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I really really love um, the storytelling um, and the juxtaposition of these two, um, you know, young women. Uh, who um um who are sort of they they meet in the movement um mm-hmm. in a in a way that 
it's really interesting how, you know, sort of like uh, the politics of blackness and freedom sort of equalize the playing field, equalize the ground. So, like, you know, there's there's, there's a, yeah, there's, there's uh, uh, I don't know, there's, there's equality, you know, um, in 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 the platform, you know, in a way that uh, there's no one sort of telling another person what to do. I really, you know, that sort of really, really comes across really well in the film, um, how everyone is equal. And um and and I what I really like about it as you mentioned, um, you know, these are these are two two women and and there's a moment in, in the film because you're like you're at the protest too. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where the police are standing there, I'm like, you know, you got your camera there. Um <laughs> and there's a moment when um I think there's a narration around how black women or women um, black women, because we're talking about black protests, don't get mm-hmm. the mic. And the sister has the mic. And this guy comes along mm-hmm. and takes the mic. I'm like, what? And then he doesn't give it back. I'm like, that is such a a great moment. It is just like, enough said. Yeah. <laughs> enough said. <laughs> that is Perfect so great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that was something throughout um, the film that we were looking to to kind of highlight um, in in subtle ways, uh, but also in more kind of overt ways, um, such as that that scene when they're when they're um, at downtown Chicago protesting, um, and just a visual representation, I think, of um, what has been seen in a lot of movement spaces and in other industries as well um, when it when it comes to women um kind of exerting their for their uh power and their voice um in different spaces um but still understanding that you know living in in this kind of masculine dominated society that we live in um that that's something that people that women still often have to navigate um and so that mm-hmm. that's why telling the this film from the perspective of black women intentionally is so important um because it's really not um Necessarily, I I think uh, Bella put it really well the other day, saying that um, by us centering ourselves, that isn't necessarily saying that we are erasing black men or men from the conversation, because you know we we are we are strong supporters of of black men and, and the struggles that they go through as well, and have shown up time and time again for many of the other acts of brutality that we've seen in the U.S. But that it's also important that we center um, women's issues, that we center queer issues, that we center the issues of folks that are also a part of the black community but also aren't always the ones that are being in, put in the center or issues that are being put in the center of the conversation. Um, and so that was really important to us to highlight um, so that folks can at least begin to have the conversation about, okay, what does it look like if we really, if this is really a woman-led queer-led movement, um, how, do we, how do we remain inclusive of everyone in the black community so that all of these issues we are working towards, towards breaking free from, not just necessarily those that affect one, one group. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and, and you, keep, you keep coming back to that, um, you know, in the more intimate um, uh, settings, 
you know, where, you know, you have uh, moments with, um, uh, you know, with, you know, either one or the other of, of the protagonist, you know, Janae, um, who, you know, you're actually there when in the classroom with her <laughs> when she's talking to her cohort about, um, mm-hmm. you know, so what her ideas are around her dissertation and her research, you know. Um, and then, you know, you're with Bella, you know, when she's in the studio or she's talking to her friends um, and just sort of reflecting on, uh on you know uh, male female relationships and just sort of ethics around that you know and the values around that like how her values might be in conflict with you know who she wants to be in a relationship with so what do you do with that um, right so you know those kind of con- and then birthday parties and then I just love yeah. you know this where you have the women with their mothers because. The generational um, and the ancestral connections to the power and to resistance is a through line, and you even talk about that yourself in um, you know in your statement. Uh, so, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, about legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, um, I definitely love the the way that we crafted or or portrayed the the matriarchal relationships for both Bella and Janae um, mm-hmm. in the film. I think, you know, that wasn't something initially that we knew would would become a staple of the film. But as we started to cut it together and, um, you know, as I started to just better understand both of their relationships with their mothers, it felt like it made perfect sense um, because, I think not only for Janae and Bella, but for for myself and for many other Black women as well, we have those those ancestral like you know mother grandmother great grandmother connections that that really influence um, you know our our lives what we what we who we become as people how we identify you know the careers that we choose um, the the kind of energy and, and passion that we have for things. I think a lot of times are influenced um, by our matriarchs. And so, um, you know, it kind of accidentally came together. But I think that, you know, seeing Janae and her mother's relationship and, and how much her mother has gained from from witnessing Janae's work, you know, can really speak to the power of, like, intergenerational um, conversations and how it doesn't always have to be, you know the the young learning from the old, but it can sometimes be the other way around. Um, and then I think for Bella, just viewing you know the growth in her relationship with her mother, especially with her having been incarcerated for the first seven years of her life, you know how that can often be a challenge um, for for children of incarceration. Um, but to see the ways that that has um, blossomed, you know since since she's been out. Um, and how Bella, you know, how that's really central to the work that we see her growing towards in the film. Um, you know, I think it just, again, speaks to the power of womanhood and, and really um, kind of the sources of our power and energy um, in, in organizing and in other, in other spaces as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, so, so true. And, um, and, and you mentioned, um, you know, sort of like, wow, you know, if I would have had, 
you know, sort of these kind of models, um, you know, in my life, you know, when when you were, um, you know, getting getting your, um, you know, your advanced degrees in film, um, you say I've always always known and felt the presence of black resistance in my life. However, the strong feminine leadership in the Chicago movement caused me to question where my history had been placed. How might my world have been different if I saw a young PhD student or a rapper that looked like me organizing mass movement? And um, and and when Bella says, you know, in one of her many wonderful poems, and that's really wonderful. Maybe you could talk about the art, you know, the poetry and the music and your team. Um, you know, she talks about how the millennials are the movement, are the new movement, and. Um, yeah, yeah, and I just love that scene where she's talking about this policeman. She, what did she do? She pushed his his bike. He pushed it at her, and she pushed yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And how she said, you know, oh, we we have our bodies. You know, we can't bring a gun. Yeah, you know, into yeah. the situation. You know, because you know, you think about the Black Panther Party for self defense. You know, which was yeah. founded here in Oakland, California, where I'm sitting. Um, mm-hmm. And and how, you know, before Ronald Reagan changed the law, we could show up with arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and in mm-hmm. some some states you you can still, you know, wear bare arms. I don't know in what situation mm-hmm. and I don't know if that has changed everywhere. Probably yeah. hasn't. Um, yeah. Or if black folks would even, you know, whether or not it's legal or not you know what kind of bearing that has um on police that are that are seeing if a black person comes to a protest with a gun how that's different than mm-hmm. you know something like we saw with with on January 6th with the insurgency on the capitol you know yes. just just understanding mm-hmm. that has different social implications for black people versus white people for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah and also you know how it's so quiet around that what happened to those people that tried to overthrow yeah. the government Right. You know, outside of a few being thrown in jail and, and, and having to await trial, you know, I think in large part, you know, that that the aftermath of that was, you know, really mild compared to even what we've seen in some of the some of the protests that are led um by black folks. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, I, I gave you a lot of preamble to the question. <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry. You also asked me about art in the film. My bad. <laughs> I was going off the last point. Um, That's okay. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, I think you know art and music and poetry were really essential to us, to us cutting, uh, putting the film together as well. Um, in big, in big part because Chicago, um, in Chicago, like arts and music and spoken word are integral to to the movement space, um, you know, there are many scenes that are not included in the film where people are um, expressing themselves in different ways um, and, and how that's allowing them to to understand the moment better, to heal from a moment better, to connect with other people in the community better um, in, in ways that, that we can't always achieve, um, uh, you know, just through, through, like, I guess, sharing words with one another. Um, and so, you know, with that being such a huge part of Chicago's organizing space, and then and then on top of that, Bella, um, as this self-proclaimed activist, 
um, it was really um, no question to, to have that be an element of the film. And also just the history of music in Chicago is, is a very, a very, very long history with, with blues, um, with hip hop, um, just with jazz, like with so many, so many amazing um, artists. And, and, and I, I think like genres have come out of Chicago. And so um, even in doing the, the composing with, with Sam Trump, who's based here, um, we really, we really wanted to pull out a lot of those elements um, or elevate some of those elements in, in the score of the film um, to really help, yeah, I think to just ground it in, in, in other spaces outside of organizing or within organizing um, and to also offer that as like another pathway um, towards social change. Like there are so many, so many artists that, that have um, a desire to, you know, be a part of the movement or, or to contribute their voice to the movement so really just having it be kind of this backdrop that, that the film exists within, um, I think can also be a, another kind of point of affirmation for artists um, that are looking to, to contribute their voice to this moment. Yeah. Um, well, in our, in our concluding moments, um, maybe we can have you on again with um, maybe the protagonist to talk more. But I was wondering if you could talk um, – a little bit about about your your hopes for the work and and your team because um, you have a really wonderful <laughs> wonderful um, you know production team and producing team and editing team it was like because I'm sure there's a lot of your wonderful footage that didn't make it into the film I'm like yeah <laughs> for sure absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I, you know, I think, one, I really hope that folks, um, the film as a way to witness black women in their power, you know, I often encourage people to not feel like they, you know, immediately compelled that they need to do something or, or go join an organization. Um, I think in big ways, it's just important to, to kind of be a witness to this work that happened over four and a half years. Um but then, you know, if, if if that kind of that feeling continues, you know, I think it's important to to think about where you are at in terms of your skills and, and what what talents you have, um, and how those can be integral in, into this movement. You know, for me as a filmmaker, when I was seeing what was happening in Chicago, I although I there were more, you know, traditional ways that I could have gotten involved, I felt like I understood this film world. I understood how to pick up a camera. Um, I saw a gap in, in comprehensive media around this movement. And so for me, my decision was to pick up a camera and to, to make a film about it. But that can, like I said, it can look like a PhD student. It can look like a rapper. It can look like a spoken word artist. It can look like just contributing, you know, your, your funds to the movement. So just really sitting and thinking of like, what, how can I be, um, most helpful to this movement and then looking, you know, within your community to see what organizations or groups already exist. And if they don't, you know, even if it's starting conversations with friends in your community or in your neighborhood, that can be a good just spot to start learning the language and talking through some of these these um, challenges that we're experiencing as a black community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. 
Yeah. Uh, All could of you give, uh, I was like, there was another part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, just, just shout out to, um, to my team, Morgan Elise Johnson, my producer, and um, mm-hmm. Ruben Daniels, my editor, um, who I would note we are we are all emerging black creatives, um, especially at the time of the beginning of this production. Um, but I think it was really important to to have that um, kind of shared identity because it it helped us to move through some moments I think easier than it, it would have been if if the Racial makeup looked different on the team, so I was really grateful um, to have them alongside me, helping me to shape this narrative. Um, and there's so many other people that I did not list, so please um, check out the <laughs> film's website, unapologeticfilm.com, um, to see that full list of, of great collaborators. Right, yeah. And um, I believe your film um, is already out as of August, but something's happening this week, yes, um, yes we're we're actually premiering. Um, we're opening in Los Angeles at the Limley Monica on Friday um, mm-hmm. with Q and A's on Friday and Saturday night, and then um, we actually just found out we're going to have a virtual run at the Roxy uh, in San Francisco. Oh, so, oh, yeah, nice. so um, if folks are up in, in SF or in the Bay, um, you can check us out via the Roxy's web. Well, if you go to our website, we have it listed there as well, but um, it'll be playing virtually so you can watch it watch it at home um, starting on Friday as well. Oh, excellent, excellent. And uh, I just want um, to just name your, your folks again. Um, you know, we're speaking to Ashley yeah. O'Shea, director, producer. We've got Morgan Elise Johnson, producer. Uh, Ruben Daniels, Jr., editor, and um, <clears throat> we've got Sam Trump, composer, Yvonne Welbon, um, executive producer, uh, Gordon Quinn, executive producer, and Jolene Pender, executive producer. Um, this is a really, really, really good film. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, no problem. And and one last thing, I just really, really love the way um <clears throat> you you sort of you take the microcosm and you, you place it against the macrocosm. So we're talking about, you know, these two women, Janae um Bonsu and Bella Abbas. However, their lives are are sort of um illustrative of a larger um mm-hmm. movement of of black women in 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 revolution you know freedom yeah. you know as as for our people as bella says a lot you know like i might not be mm-hmm. here you know mm-hmm. they're from you know fred hampton you know a, mm-hmm. a country you know like he talks yeah, about absolutely. you know the revolutionary and how we need to be organized and and I might not be here, but the work will be here. And she talks about how these words, you know, this poem, you know, her life work will be here, even if she's not here to see it reach its fruition. So, um, and so you you give these really wonderful graphs, you know, of 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 sort of what's going on. In the end, you sort of call the ancestors names of all of our our, our people who've been killed. Mm-hmm. by police and it's just it's just really beautiful you know seeing the juxtaposition you know the mapping and and the quotes and you know you did your work 
really, really well, you know, the way you put things within context so people can, like you yeah. say, watch these women, you know, come into their own, but also, you know, see how, you know, this is sort of organic and how it yeah. takes the whole community, you know, to make change. Yes, absolutely. And I think your point about um, about Janae and Bella sort of being representative of of the larger movement is really important because, um, you know, for neither for neither of them has this been about um, them, you know, becoming celebrities or, or like organizing superstars in this work. Um, but I think, you know, by seeing their growth over the over that much time, that people can audience members can look at this film and really overlap or or resonate with different moments in each of their journeys. Um, whether it's the whole thing or just or bits and pieces throughout. And I think, you know, there's so many other other women leaders, black women leaders in Chicago that we weren't able to, to include in the film, at least at that level, but are, are essential and integral to the work. So I just encourage people to seek out the to seek out the work that's happening in Chicago, to seek out the women that are leaders in their community um, and and understand that, that there are so many other folks who who deserve this sort of recognition um, and archiving, that it's really important that we archive our movement, our movements and, and what's happening in our communities um, in a contemporary sense and not just, you know, historically after it's all said and done. So, mm-hmm. Right, yeah, this is just the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and then those of us in the Bay, you know, <laughs> you know, Alicia Garza is one of us. <laughs> so, and she's still working, still moving. Exactly. You know, her book came out earlier this year. You know, exactly. she's got it going on, and, and you can plug in. And it's really wonderful to be able to organize and be unapologetically African-American, being of African descent, you know, native Absolutely. to this land. And and that's what, you know, one of the things, you know, your name even unapologetic, like, you know, stand up, you know, claim it all, you know. This is our nation. We built it. (laughs) Good thing you're coming out on Labor Day weekend, right? Like, you know, black folks built this nation. (laughs) Exactly. But black black people can rest. Don't don't labor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> you take good care, Ashley. Looking forward to perhaps having, you know, another conversation, you know, in the future. For sure. Thank you so much, Wanda. You're welcome. Take good care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Wanda Hello. 6. Um Hi, is this Brother Kalamu Yasalam? Kalamu Yasalam and Asante <laughs> Salam, my daughter. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Asante, I love that name, Asante, Asante Sana. <laughs> <laughs> Asante Salam, calling from New Orleans. Yes. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, glad to have both of you all with me. Um, Malik is not here, so I'm not sure if he's still going to be able to join us. But I'm glad you all could to talk about sort of what's happening on the ground on the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina this past weekend and hmm. and Hurricane Ida, you know, just, I guess, touching down and then leaving. And 
you all don't have any electricity, um, we've been told. That's true. Citywide, we have started getting messages of some some sprinkles, and sprinkles as in one drop at a time, not shower sprinkles of mm-hmm. um, electricity being restored in the metro area. We've gotten messages about two places that have power. Other than that, it's absolutely no electricity for businesses, for residences, for infrastructure, for um infrastructure, civil infrastructure, business and economic infrastructure, as well as residential. One of the things I want to emphasize is that many people know of New Orleans from Hurricane Katrina. And this hurricane, they assume it's another hurricane, but this this one was very, very different from Katrina. One of Mm -hmm. the things that happened with Katrina is one of the levees failed, and so the city was inundated with water. We don't have that problem now. There's no water. But Hurricane Ida was extremely um, dangerous and destructive as far as wind damage goes. So what Mm -hmm. we have now is wind damage. You look outside, blue sky, but you try and drive around, and there are trees all, you know, down everywhere. And we're talking whole ancient oak trees that have come topside down, some topside down, some sideways with their root structure just up sideways in, across streets, across power lines, across houses, across fences. So it's a very different um, experience mm-hmm. from Katrina that we're suffering through now. And a, and a big problem is without, to be a metropolitan area and you don't have electricity is, in fact, it's worse than Katrina. During Katrina, you turn on your television, you can see images and so forth and so on. Well, right now, when the news people come down here, they can't even report. They can't send back images or what have you. And we're also, we have two two components in terms of this difference. One is that without electricity, our um, access to the Internet is very spotty. For Katrina, it was the invention of texting. Before Katrina, we didn't text that much. Texting was an accessory communication. When Katrina happened, we couldn't call each other, but we could text to find out where each other was, and because we had electricity, all you had to do was get to a location. Here, Mm -hmm. no matter where you are, you could be in a fancy place, you could be in a shack. You have no electricity, which means you don't have Wi-Fi, you don't have ATM, you don't have general news. You have the Internet, and you get to see how subjective news is on the internet because it's limited you know you can't select what you want to see you just get these little clips Mm -hmm. and the other thing the other big difference is that katrina was a great equalizer when everyone is flooded everyone has the same has some similar experience so even if your house wasn't personally flooded if you are in one of those rare dry areas of town you had personal relationship with someone who was flooded or someone who lost a family member. 
So we had a human equalizer across class, across race, across gender, across business, residential, power levels. Everybody had had a, a, um, called a sort of a level playing field in terms of what we were dealing with. With the wind being the damage, removing us from power, um, electric power, it means that the level of class and resourcefulness in terms of options, not just having money, like literally cash or money in the bank, but having options beyond the city limits, having options and connections with family members outside of the city, having options in terms of critical thinking and solution-oriented collaboration means that we have access to gas, which is powering our generator, which powers our refrigerator, which powers our <laughs> charging our phones, which is our hotspots that give us Internet connections through which we're talking to you now, which gives us our portable AC, which allows us to not be in the heat index of 103 in New Orleans in August. But oh, it also goodness. means that in the, if I use a Katrina analogy, we were all drowning and floating in the water of Katrina. But if we had that same water analogy for, for Ida, some people are in yachts with captains rowing their ships and they fully equipped and they got shades and they got water and they got, you know, clean whatever, and they can get anywhere they want to get. Some of us are in boats with rowing capacity. Some people can fit with us, some people can't. Those yachts are blowing up some water on some of those boats. So the people in the boats are better than the people in the water. Then we got a lot of people in the water, and then we got people on shore who never even made it to the water. So we are every, we're feeling the discord and the disgruntledness, and we're on the aftermath, a missness of COVID, which mm-hmm. was already had a lot of fear and unsettledness in our people's lives. You know, so if we go into communities, it looks the same. You know, some people, <laughs> they places were still damaged from Katrina. They come up, you know, like one of my nephews said, I ain't got over Katrina yet. How you asking me how I feel about Ida? You know, so there's a lot of um, unrest. Anxiety. Anxiety, fear. And the fear is increased by the way news is reported. So it's better to make the optic seem crisis-oriented. And it means that people are rushing around and feeling crisis, and, I, and I'm mindfully saying, okay, we're present. We have our faculties. We have our minds. We have our safety. We have our lives. We have each other. Let's make some thoughtful, mindful decisions. We don't have to respond to this fear and crisis that is being cultivated around us and in our society of reporting and and responding. Right, and at the same time, make no mistake, this is bad. Oh, yeah. We're not implying that it's not. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we have wherewithal to, you know, for those of us who are black and as you were talking about with your previous guest, unapologetically of African descent, here in America, 
this ain't bad compared to, you know, I think Ossie Davis talked about doing his own, own uh, stunts and uh, do the right thing. And somebody's like, you're an old man. How are you diving on the ground? And he's like, this ain't picking cotton, you know. I can, I can, you know, do a little physical discomfort or inconvenience. So I, I'm, we're very clear that bad is in proportion to people who have had it way worse than us. And it is bad for what is available in our so-called first world, Western society, free country, America, land of the free, home of the brave. It ain't feeling real free and brave for most people in New Orleans. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so much for this um uh, you know, um, overview of, of of sort of where you sit, literally. Um, I was wondering um, if before we we continue, if maybe you could maybe uh, introduce each other, so our audience can know sort of like who are we speaking to. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Kalamu Yasalam, and um, I'm a native of New Orleans. I'm 74 years old. And I've been through buku, as we say, a whole lot of storms and hurricanes. And I am Asante Salam, and I am Salamu's eldest daughter, first daughter, one of five siblings, and I am a visual artist. Did I say I was 51? No, you didn't. Okay, I'm 51, and... I am a visual artist and a creative consultant, and I work with Zen cultural organizations, and I do my own visual artwork. And we are sitting in a property um, that is owned by Ms. Rosita Richardson and her family. And my fiancé, as you can hear, the lawnmower going back and forth because the windows are open despite the heat in the rebuilding mode, cutting grass, because in New Orleans, the grass goes <laughs> fast. After every rain, you're going to have a whole lot of grass. So he's out cutting grass, you know, powered by gas. So, yes, that's who we are. And that's a, yeah. and I might add that that's a major issue in the city right now, the lack mm-hmm. of gas. Um, and, and living in a modern metro area, there are two things that you got to have, electricity and gas. I don't care how much money you got. You ain't got no gas. You ain't got no electricity. So you get in line just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think about all the offshore drilling, um, you know, right there in the Gulf, <laughs> which New Orleans is part of the Gulf region. Um, it doesn't make well, sense not that there would be no. Drilling. I would add. Yeah, I would add one thing that is hmm. not commonly known. The petro industry, the oil companies, have hmm. cut canals all through southern Louisiana. So there's soil erosion going on. And whereas there used to be marshlands with, uh, uh, with trees and what have you that would stop storms coming uh, slamming in, that slammed into Louisiana, a lot of that land is no longer there because 
of all of these uh, canals that have been dug to facilitate the uh, exploration of petroleum throughout the south part of Louisiana. So New Orleans today in 2021 is a lot closer to the coast than it was, you know, 16 years ago with uh, Katrina and certainly many, many years ago with some of the other more famous uh, hurricanes such as Betsy in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a lot of complications to talking about this, and we don't have time to go through all of them, but Wanda, we really appreciate you at least introducing this to people so that they understand what you see on television is not even the tip of the iceberg. You're not, you don't really fully understand what's going on because they're not going to sit down and explain to you well, a lot of the damage is done because of the petro industry. You know, you're not going to see that on television. Right. So we're talking about the environment and the treatment of the land and our planet Earth as much as we are talking about our neighborhoods and our people. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're, you know, we're people of African descent, so we know the land is, you know, it's it's an energy, it's a life, you know, so... You think about mm-hmm. years ago what happened to the land, and the land was also injured. Um, and mm-hmm. we wonder about those stories that, you know, the land is, is continuing to have a discourse with us, you know, whether we acknowledge it or not. Um, I mean, that's why, you know, the hurricanes are doing what they're doing coming off the west coast of of the continent, you know, called Africa. You know, that whole that discourse around, you know, you took – you took our beloved and and you know carried them across the oceans, and they were coming for you. <laughs> you know we think about you know oh yeah, and and those stories. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I was just wondering. I'm just like um, I, I haven't looked at any visuals, but I'm just like seeing these trees, you know, lying like so many toppled, you know, human beings because you know trees. In certain certain cosmology, are people. Um, so, mm-hmm. think, so, like, I'm looking mm-hmm. at, I'm just looking at these 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 failed people, unburied. Um, right. Thinking about part, part of what you're seeing, part of what you're seeing, again, is not apparent if you don't understand it. But when Ida came, it was a lot of rain. Mm-hmm. It was a slow storm, and the rain. The, the ground in New Orleans and in southern Louisiana is not very deep. You go six, eight feet down, mm-hmm. you're going to hit yeah. water sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And what has happened is this ground was saturated with rain so that when the winds hit, forceful winds, it just, it, the trees just could not stand. And that's why you, when you see these trees, uh, the images you may see, you'll see trees and the roots of the trees because mm-hmm. the ground could not hold it together. Yeah, yeah. So what are people doing who don't have gas and are not able, don't have generators and aren't able, like, if, I don't know, what I was hearing was that you all are going to have electricity for a long time. 
So, so, what, <laughs> we don't so what, what are the, what, we what's going on? We don't know what's going to happen. We do know that there are certain efforts being made um, by the city administration and state administration to, mm-hmm. in some cases, move people, in other cases to make uh, changes so that people can survive. For instance, the uh, SNAP program, uh, the food stamp program, was extended down here in New Orleans so that people could actually use it, use their food stamps to buy uh, hot food, uh, prepared mm-hmm. food already, which was not the case in general for SNAP. Um, mm-hmm. And there are things like that. So I don't want to make it seem like, one, we're helpless, and two, that nobody is coming to the rescue. Uh, I think that there are people in the federal government who are trying to do things, and certainly the people of New Orleans are not helpless, but Mm -hmm. it is rough. (laughs) I tell you, it is rough. And Mm -hmm. the roughest part for me personally is uh, between midnight and 6 a.m., because at night, you know, <laughs> you can't see oh. nothing. Uh-huh. And, you know, you'd be surprised when, if you live in a metropolitan area, you are so used to seeing light, even if it's in the distance. Mm-hmm. And when there's no light, you're totally disoriented. Mm. I mean, totally disoriented. And that's that's what, what happens. We were... We're here and we um, we're struggling, but I want to let people know this is not an easy one. And for me, yeah. those those hours between um, uh, midnight and 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 six a.m. those those are the roughest times. As the ghetto yeah. boy said, your mind plays tricks on you. Yeah. Um, Malik just joined us. Um, Malik, I know you don't have, you only have moments. Um, do you want to add so to the conversation? Sorry. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know who the brother was, but he's absolutely that's, that's right. That's oh. Yeah, Salam. Oh, how are you doing, my brother? I'm, I'm hanging uh-huh. on. I'm trying to, I was just trying to hold it down and make room for you. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Because see those. Those hours that you uh, uh, were talking about from 12 to 6, yeah. oh, man, uh, those are the roughest hours. So don't think that you're alone. You did, but uh, as a spirit, because I don't, I don't follow no basic religion, but I'm very spiritual. And I think that this happened for a reason. Sixteen years later, on the anniversary of Katrina, he here we get hit again. I believe the Most High is trying to tell us something. And one of the things that this shows me more than anything else is we as a people are still ill-prepared for when a disaster hit us. We we were going to know we were just a little bit better. Just a, a, I, I mean, I wouldn't even say 10% better than when Katrina came. We could, uh, and it was a different story, we too. Could've, we could have survived this. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be 
that that it's as brutal as it is upon us. You know, I mean, uh, you know, there's no such thing here as an emergency disaster team, not not among blacks. Now the Cajuns got it, you see, but we don't, and we the ones that that is because. Anything happened in Louisiana, if a white get a cold, we got pneumonia. You dig? And so we supposed to be prepared as a community, especially those who classify themselves as community leaders, whether spiritually, and I'm talking about all the faith base, all or those who say they are community leaders, we need to come together and form a strategy on how can we survive this? Because if it follows through uh, Katrina, then uh, next come real. You dig? And if this do it to us and have this type of impact upon us, and, uh, you know, i got to, to say that it's much better than it was uh, as for the government response than, uh, than it was doing uh, Katrina, you dig? But if we can't come together and overcome this, you know, I mean, uh, it shouldn't be that right now we need any outside support. We should be and came together and develop the, 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 the mechanism care ourselves. I see uh, all these people running to get <clears throat> gasoline for a generator that very few of us have experience in operating. You know, that's the reason why it's killing us. They had a house up in, in uh, Harvey to burn down because of the fact that the person had the generator too close to the house. And he tried to uh, fill it up and didn't get a thing, chance to, uh, to cool off. And it caught a fire when we could do solar. Because one thing about it, that we have right now an abundance of sunlight. And, yeah. and, with solar, and with solar, that would be that would cover us. But we have to come together. We have to develop that strategy. We have to make sure that, uh, that because that, right now I'm sitting here with General Rico Forbes. Uh, the former president of the Republic of New Africa. And, uh, and we have uh, an office in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And the reason that was 100 miles inland. Every feet, I mean, every mile that you have of land, it can absorb a, a foot of a tidal surge. So in order for a tidal surge to reach Hattiesburg, so tidal surge, you think? So again, and, and that's what we have to do. We have to prepare. Uh, as an organizer, I, I learned how to organize under what, the, what we used to call the five P's, and that's proper planning, prevent poor performance. You see? And we have to plan for it. Because, you know, it's not with us proper plan. We just got the plan, and we have to come together and, and do it. You think we need to make sure that, uh, that especially the elderly, 
that's sitting up in these houses right now, without no uh, uh, air conditioning, without no electricity, the little food that they have is unsoured, and there and there's not even oh. Yeah, I would say that lives on the West Bank. I live currently at, at Ashe, and I'm now staying with my daughter on the East Bank. Ashe Cultural Arts Center. Yeah, Ashe Cultural Arts Center. And I'm on the East Bank. But through uh, one of the particularities of Louisiana and of New Orleans in particular, if you're standing on the East Bank and you want to look to the West Bank, you got to look to the east because the river bends and curves, and so that the West Bank is actually to the east of the metropolitan city. And it's, but it's, but it's crazy. And Malik and I have been knowing each other. For, I remember doing uh, what's that that storm Katrina. Malik and I would run across each other in airports and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, this situation. Is not going to change by itself. Malik is absolutely correct. People have to organize to make it change. Because the powers that be, the powers that be, even those politicians on the national level who want to make a change, the petroleum companies who give the politicians so much money are not going to let them make a change. My brother, listen, I'm going to tell you, we are the we are to get down on our knees. Every black uh, in southern Louisiana who have been impacted by this hurricane needs to get down on their knees and thank whoever they believe as, as that spiritual uh, head and then that Trump wasn't in office. <laughs> yeah. because and then building happened, on what? And, and building on what oh, Brother Malik is saying. Wonder, I'm telling you, if this would have happened under Trump, huh? Yes, yes, yes. Katrina would have been a misdemeanor compared <laughs> to what we are going through, you see? Mm-hmm. And, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah the, the wealthier among us, those that got the connection, they would have made out. But as for the, the average poor working class black in this city, because you got to remember right now, you dig, and we call this a, a black city. But we don't even make half of what the average white family makes. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brother, Malik, Brother Malik, Brother Malik, this is, yeah. Brother Malik, this is Asante, I'm uh, Kalamu's oldest daughter. We used to pass, cross paths uh, with Peter Muhammad, um, Haroon, in Algiers yeah. Point, when you was riding your bike to and from <laughs> your yeah. uh, common ground location. And I want to highlight the organizing, because it, as a, as elders, uh, folks, you uh, people don't know, as Kalama was talking about, people don't know the stories and the work that is present in all the lives that you have lived, Kalamu has lived, and everyone y'all have worked through. We're in 2021. We need to learn and build on what our our workers have learned from from for decades, for generations, Listen, have, and not be trying to reinvent the wheel. 
there are things yeah. that are timeless about organizing and working together. And it means none of us need to have our names in life, or it, needs to, it doesn't need to be my credit or your credit. It's about what is for the greater good and what's going to benefit us. But like listen, y'all my have sister, been doing this work. We yeah. live in a city. Oh, he's breaking up. The, 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 the recognition that you're, you're, they're given. Hello? Yeah, we, um, you were breaking up. You were breaking up. Oh. Try to get oh, uh, right. This is a city that never recognized the work that we had did. At Common Ground, we served over a half a million people. You Amen. dig? In the aftermath of the You dig? If you're, and True. for that reason, Fact. my house. <laughs> Not, not not me, but my house has been declared an international site of conscious. If you would go online, the International Coalition of Sites of Conscious, uh, this is the only house in America that is a site of conscious. In the city, the state, and the federal government have never giving us uh, not one dime. The only thing that, that they have done because of the work we did after Katrina was put a, a, a provocateur in it to tear the organization apart. So all the lessons that we have learned, I mean, because, yeah, people are doing great work. Because uh, out of common ground came uh, 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 many organizations uh, that is doing uh, good work around the world. We have a former common grounders up in Haiti. We have former mm-hmm. common grounders, mutual aid. That's all you got to do is under the work that, that continues. But the city, this city has never asked how was I able to, uh, to, to help that many people. Have never. How was I able to open up pro health clinics you dig, with no health experience? You dig? They have never. You dig? They have never. Uh, that that, uh, that that Southern University honored me with the first Living Legend Award for uh, the city in response to that toward my uh, band, toward it from in front of my house. Yeah, on uh, I, I could get predicate in in California and. Out the the country and globally for the work I did in the right here in this city in in this city no never they have never even accepted it never and uh, it's blue skies above hard as hell on the ground oh yeah. That's why I could sit up here and say what we could do if we was working together. You dig? I could, I could say this. You dig? Because I know what we can do. You dig? We don't need no outside help if, if we was working together. But because of the we put our hands facing up and set our hands facing down, you dig? And this is what we look for. You think it shouldn't be that right now we're in the situation that we are in. 
It's no, it's no justification. You dig? We should have cooling centers for our elderly and our children under this. Right now, it's 105 degrees with the heat index. 105. Wow. With no power. And I'm talking about for the poorest, because those with money, you dig? They ain't worrying about no, uh, uh, no heat. You dig? Because they're in, they're in, uh, uh, then, then, uh, yeah. Throw it on the ground. I'm gonna get it. Then, uh, in a position that they could, uh, uh, board this. But for those without, for those who was waiting on this first, and then here the first, here the first thing came, and they can't even cash their check. They don't have nothing. And and that's the reason why people start talking about looting. They can't go to no ATM uh, machine. ATM, all the ATMs are not working because of no electricity. That's right. right. They yeah. can't go nowhere. So what they what, what they gonna do? They're stuck. Mm. You dig? They, they can't get. They can't access no food stamp. Do you use any food stamp? They ain't got nothing. So why can so, have any? Had, so I have, I have a question. question. Um, yeah, I have a question. So, um, like, is there are there like any mobile units going out neighborhood by neighborhood? You know, checking in on people, giving people. You know, supplies checking on the elders. Do you have a like real who? question? Are you You're doing? You talking it? about? You talking about Wanda, what Brother Malik is talking Wanda, about? Are you what doing we need it to be prepared? Here? Right. Are you doing it here from uh from South from the Bay Area? Because if you're <laughs> not doing it, it's sure not being done here. Not on a not on a large enough scale. You dig? Mm. I rise around to the people that I know and check on them, yeah. and it's and. Listen, it's literally sad when you ride up on a, 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 and see a woman sitting in the house with three or four kids, you did, and don't even have ice left mm. on a fan or an air conditioner, don't even have ice. You know, and, 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 and that should have been something that, that every center should have been given away from day one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine how many people going to wind up dying because of the fact that they are taking medication that's going to sour because they have no way of keeping it refrigerated. And uh, you might say, well, yeah, well, they should have left town, but how are you going to leave broke? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this one, this one comes up, came up real fast. One of the things that people don't realize or can't really know, the period right before Ida hit was the weekend. So a lot mm-hmm. of stuff just was, wasn't available to folks. And come Monday, you look up, and a similar thing happened with Katrina when the levees fell. When Katrina first hit and the levees fell, it was over the weekend. These weekends mm-hmm. are brutal. They're brutal. And, again, this is not something that's just common knowledge. But use, wherever you are, use your own imagination. What would you do if all of a sudden everything's closed Friday night, 
and don't open up until sometime Monday, what would you do? Where would you go? How would you get help? Because hmm. I'm going to tell you. And Monday don't come because the electricity is off. Yeah, when you, you can't even tell. I'm telling you, sitting in the dark, you forget what day it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for that weekend, because I'm going to tell you, my brother, that weekend didn't matter to uh, those who have spent everything for to get their school supplies for their children. This weekend, uh, last weekend, was like that Katrina weekend. They wasn't doing mm-hmm. them but staying home. Uh, they wasn't out partying. They was at home waiting until the first and got caught in a, in a white situation because right now they're in the city and don't and they still don't have it. So the, there's a store open to go there and buy yeah, ice. The, you dig, but it's from the from the west bank to the east bank, both sides of the city. It's a, it's a hard place. And and Peter Muhammad, who I'm staying at 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 his mother's place, because he's here, staying here to help with his family. Peter Muhammad spent half the day. Hear me, understand full well. Half of the day yesterday, got up early in the morning. What time you got up around? Four days. Like we say, four day in the morning. Got out of here. He woke Tr- up at 4 and found the gas station. He was driving around between 4 and 6 to find the gas station. And we the privileged mm-hmm. one. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And he did, uh, and, and where know, he found I, I the gas station. People that either have to go to Baton Rouge, you dig, or either That's to, uh, to, uh, to uh, Pasadena, Mississippi. Mississippi. Yep. Yeah, they yep. have to go there in order to, to avoid these lines. But so those are the ones that are blessed, where, like where you said, my sister. Up, them the ones that's blessed on because the they got transportation. Yeah. They, they so, so where, so where, um, Asante, where, where did Brother Peter Muhammad? Where did he end up getting his gas? <laughs> it's a long, long story, but he was on his way to Baton Rouge through the side mm-hmm. roads because the interstate had some detours, and he turned and saw an exit where they had a gas station right on the par- right before the parish line um, in Kenner, yeah. uh, 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 towards the end of what we call Veterans Boulevard. Kenner is mm-hmm. part of the suburbs of the Metro New Orleans area. And yeah, that's he going toward up, the airport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He showed up at a gas station that had a $25 limit, and he needed $40 worth of gas minimum. He showed up with a debit card because he's like, I'm going to a gas station. They're pumping gas. I know the electricity works or they got a generator enough to take some, you know, money off my card. they only accepting cash. He negotiated oh. and used his goodwill and went to the Lowe's to buy something else to get cash returned, used three transactions because they was only giving $20 back per transaction, went to – uh, four about it took about four businesses between his gas sta- finding the gas station and actually getting the gas. And if he didn't have mm-hmm. gas tank to fill up in addition to his car, he wouldn't have been able mm-hmm. to fill out 
fill up the generator. So you need a gas tank and you need a five-gallon one to yeah. do any, you know, sustenance. And this is a mm-hmm. poet. This brother is a poet. And he is cutting grass, doing agriculture, because he's like, wait a minute. My words ain't going to save the people <laughs> when they ain't got no power. I can plant. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, do some rebuilding. So we are artists. And if you want to talk about first responders, we are all mm-hmm. artists. All, as, as um, Bible Malik said, you know, we have spiritual beliefs, not necessarily of a particular religious practice, mm-hmm. and we are from New Orleans. So our culture is our life force, bigger than electricity, and it's the thing that is keeping us alive and sustaining us until we collectively come together to have solar panels on our roof, mm-hmm. to have the ice distribution, to have the mobile units, to be able to live off the grid on our own, this, the, the, despite whatever the government does or doesn't do for us. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, um, people who want to help, where where can they send funds? Or I'm trying to think, you can't do things electronically because there's no there's no electricity. So, does, so what, um, what do you do? So, Bobby, you want to answer first? I I have a response after that. Well, I'm gonna tell you. I would tell anybody to hold tight. Mm. Hold tight on sending anything down, especially any any uh any money. Yeah. Because right now and, and hold it. You, right. you won't have you won't have no place to access it. For the mm. things that we do need right now, we need tools. Mm. We need tools. We need uh, to start preparing for What's going to happen to all of our homes that 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 have that that have water damage behind uh, Ida? You dig? Because right now, under this heat, it's becoming toxic mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that mold is developing in these homes. And right, then we have and it starts with the roof. Like Bible Malik is talking about, part of that water damage is roofs. So if part of your roof flies off, part of the slate, or you get a hole, then the water starts leaking into the ceiling, and you got to cut and, that out. So you need tools yep. to get the wet and damage out. you got to repair the roof. you got to repair the infrastructure. So you need tools and supplies for rebuilding and renovating and excavating those damaged areas of our but home. The, but my sister, the main thing we need to be doing now is is training people on how to do mold abatement. Mm-hmm. How to make sure that they could that they could make sure that they're not killing themselves. In the aftermath of Katrina more people died because of that mold infestation than died during the hurricane. Nobody's talking yeah. about that. I can tell you this because I ran for health clinics. Yeah, a friend of mine who went down to volunteer, he, he died from mold. Yeah, yeah. So, again, that's, that's what we need to be prepared, start preparing for. How can we make sure that, that everybody understands that you need 
You dig? You need to make sure that you're doing the, the proper toxic abatement, mole abatement. Hmm. And by that, I mean because you have a lot of them that just don't get bleached because that's the cheapest yeah. thing. And, and, and try to bleach away that mold, and then they're putting more toxic in it with the bleach than the mold. Hmm. So we need to understand. So for people we need to who want to help, so for people mm-hmm. who want to help, like what Baba Malik is talking about, this mold mm-hmm. abatement is going to require yeah. tools. It's going to incru- require supplies. It's going to require training. It's going to require mm-hmm. information. So for people who have money, who want to contribute people who have skills and wherewithal, it also takes organizing outside of us. So to to, to convene and collect, to be able to connect with us when we're able to receive so that things can come in, drive in, ship in, um, and once the power is available for us to be able to access uh, financial resources. So, so, so what? So, what's it looking like around the power? Like, what's the estimate of when the power is going to be restored? Well, There's today lies, it was, it was, it's more lies. Hmm. They don't know. Oh. They don't really know. Anybody that tells you they know when the power is coming back on is lying, because nobody knows right now. They haven't even finished doing a full evaluation. Of what's wrong, you 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 would be surprised. You have streets. You're driving down the street, and next thing you know, there's a tree blocking. You got to turn around. Well, mm. They can't evaluate what to do until they get the, the streets cleaned up. Where my daughter was staying on Norman Francis Parkway, which used to be Jeff Davis Parkway, she was staying a block away from a fire station. Understand what happened. When Ida hit, Oak Tree went down in front of the fire station, blocked the whole the whole uh, Norman Francis Parkway. And it was two days later. I don't know if it's still cleaned up yet. It's still there. We went last night. It's still there. So how you going to, you know, talk about cleaning up and this is in front of a fire station. Understand, I'm not talking about just somebody's house. Mm-hmm. This is a fire station that in, a, in New Orleans is a city that will burn at the drop of a hat. You know, I think one of the things that needs to, people need to understand for long-term, for the long-term solution is going to be that we have to organize ourselves uh, among However you, however you organize, whether you're a sorority, whether you're a social aid and pleasure club, whether you uh, all went to school together, whatever. But long term, one solution is going to be we need to have generators and people can go because it's not going to just be New Orleans. It's going to be all over the country. And we need to be able to have to help. And one of the things that has to happen in any major area of the United States is you're going to need power. You're going to need electrical power. And if you don't have that, you're not going to get much done. And if we learn from our um, studying and our folks who have been doing off-the-grid work, there's ways, as Baba Malik was talking about, to translate 
solar power into electrical power, and that can be mobile as well. If there is a mobile unit, if it's an RV, if it's a small house, a container on wheels, if it's a truck, those things can be powered by sun, and we got plenty, plenty, plenty sun in New Orleans. So if we were – go ahead, Baba. If you would look at at what happened in Puerto Rico – and how they start developing those microgrids. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. how that helped with the recovery there. It should be something that is done here. You dig? If each one of us had a, if each fire person had five people working with them as a disaster team, we would know. We wouldn't be guessing on the needs. We would know the needs and we would be meeting them. We would know that uh, through our need assessment, what people need first, what people need to do. How can we prepare? How, listen, we have three African-American universities here. Two of them are sending their students out of state to Texas until we get this together. When well, it should be working in our community. If they was working in our community, we'll have the workforce that is needed. And it could be compensated for by uh uh by 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 uh by the the the, the tuition grants. The tuition could be waived because of what they're doing. And and then we could start talking about helping our community. Right now we we have a police chief that said he's gonna prosecute everybody to the that he catch looting to the full extent of the law. You dig but not understand it because he say that there's no reason for them to to be looting. But but uh, again if you broke, if you don't have no food, if you don't have no no uh no generator, if you don't have uh no ice. You dig and and the only way I could get it is by obtaining something, uh, by breaking in, and then they're going to do it. You could still look around here and see how many people who have left, and before they would let, uh, allow a person to use that second or third car that they have parked here, you dig right now, you know what I mean, cars that is parked, you dig? They ain't making them available to nobody. You dig? I mean, those who will come back. I'm, I, listen, you had churches up in uh, the lower night ward that took as long as seven years to, to rebuild. And this mm-hmm. is supposed to be a Christian city. So, again, you know, we, got to, we got to get yeah. our act together. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. The three, but I, the three institutions, the three institutions, Malik, that you people away from here may not know, but there's Xavier University, which is the oldest Catholic university uh, that exists. There's Dillard, which is part of the network of, of uh, uh, Christian uh, universities. And there's Southern University in New Orleans, which is part of the state network. Those are three black schools located right here in the city of New Orleans. HBCU, higher education. But listen, I'm going to have to jump off because one that, like I told you, I, I, I have to go and make my my prayer for uh, for noon because the day is the day I do my noon day prayer. So I gave you my first half an hour because I was late. 
You did, because I was about... Listen, Wanda, listen, when I left that sister house and seeing her Mm -hmm. and them kids sitting up in in that house, you dig, with nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it just blew me away. You dig, where the kids, I mean, all of them just sweat. I mean, just as sweaty as can be, you know, because of this heat. You dig, mm-hmm. and they don't have a, uh, I mean, only fan they've got is, is cardboard. They're trying to find mm-hmm. some shit. dig. And all right, and they're going through this right now. And so watch them tonight when they're stuck up in them houses because they can't even buy mosquito repellent. If they got oh, to sleep no. outside, they can't buy no cookies. they giving it away. Hmm. So they have to sit wow. up. So you see them, they start, they're going to resort to doing old, the old way, old school way, burning uh, rags. You dig mm-hmm. the keeping the fuel. And, and old cars. Uh-huh. Put a yeah. car in a, in a, tin, in a, in a big yeah. tin barrel you know? and burn that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and, and, but the thing about it, when you burn it and it's already hot, you dig, you add on to the heat. So, you know, I mean, it's just it's just sad. Uh, but, uh, with Wanda, I thank you for what you have done by taking the time to to, uh, to really find out what's happening down here. And, uh, yes. you know, I, I, that's all I can say is thank you for your effort. I, I thank the, the Bayview uh, newspaper. I thank uh, the... Pacifica radio station out there, you dig it, and all those of conscious. But uh, most of all, I'm going to tell you, I have a, uh, made a call to Veterans for Peace. Mm, yes. And uh, we have just organized a, a Veterans for Peace chapter here. And mm-hmm. so we are asking people to come on down to bring some food. Uh, and, uh, and let's take advantage of this and, and teach some of these kids some of these essential trades because I'm going to tell you, before the hurricane, be, I mean before Katrina, as for construction, uh, 90% of the construction was done by African Americans. Now, mm-hmm. after uh, Katrina and, and up to right now, Almost ninety percent of the construction in this city is done by Latinos. Mhm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, so we are uh, even losing the ability to pass on those skills. You know, so we have to uh, get our act together because I believe this is a wake-up call. Because just like uh, Katrina happened again. We are still in the, and it took, for us, we're still in the beginning of hurricane season. So we could be hit uh, by another one right after this one. Yeah. And with that, again, Wanda, thank you for everything. And my brother, and, and listen, my sister, uh, I, I, listen, you, uh, you're so blessed to have a father like you have. And, uh, I, sure am. <laughs> I already know. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yes. 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 Y'all take care. And, and let's get together. 
Uh, Wanda, please share my number with them. Oh, uh, All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. Yeah. Um, and um, I think earlier in our conversation, um, Asante, um, you might, I think you mentioned uh, the pandemic, or or maybe uh, you did, Baba. Um, yeah. Kalama. Yes, I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there, yeah, but there is a pandemic which further complicates a complicated situation and a dangerous situation. Yeah, the the the, the complication is that in order to solve these a lot of these problems, we're gonna have to get together. But getting together invites. COVID to come in. And yeah. the problem is Louisiana is number one or two, depending on what day of the year it is, of the week it is, in terms mm-hmm. of COVID. And yeah. New Orleans is number one in Louisiana. And mm-hmm. I want to also yeah. stress that this is not just when we say New Orleans, we in New Orleans understand that Angola parish, uh, I mean, Angola prison system is part of New Orleans. The majority of people in Angola come straight out of New Orleans, and they drive them up to Angola. And so this this is a multifaceted problem. It's not something that's going to be solved overnight. But I, I echo what Malik said. Thank you, Wanda, for, for taking the time. And, and well, want to know. Found on what Angola is for the people who don't know. Angola, Angola prison system is the largest. Yes, state penitentiary is the largest penitentiary system in the United States. It is Angola is number one in the well. The United States is number one in terms of incarceration. Louisiana is number one in terms of uh, the United States. And New Orleans is number one in terms of prisoners. prisoners. And that's because the majority of prisoners in Angola, which is the state prison system, come from New Orleans. And Angola is located in a bend in the river. And you don't hear about people escaping from Angola because either you've got to go through the woods for miles or you've got to swim across that river, the Mississippi River. Ain't nobody ever swam across the Mississippi River. And and the way the, the geography is, it's got river on two sides and wooded area on two sides. You're not getting out of there. And it's built on a former plantation, and it is um, a self-sustaining system, um, metropolitan, you could call it so, because they grow food, they steward um animals, they have uh, recreational activities, they have, a they golf have course. agriculture, they have education, they have everything internal there, and they have a plethora, a multitude of young and to elderly black men predominantly in from New Orleans who are there. And there, it's about um, it's a short ride, but it's it, it's located on the border in the middle of Louisiana between Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, but Angola is 
very much a part of, it's not part of our geography, but it is a part of our community and our family in New Orleans. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so New Orleans people think of Angola as, just, as part of New Orleans. They have bus rides. You catch the bus. Mm-hmm. The bus comes. The shuttle between New Orleans and, and Angola. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They yeah they call the Angola the farm, and I yeah. remember um, that a lot of the people who work there are descendants of 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 the formerly enslaved and the former owners, and they would ride horses. You know, sort of indicative of of that that antebellum past um, in you know. In patrolling the men who were working in the fields, you know, planting sugarcane, harvesting sugarcane. My father um, is a refugee from Angola State Prison, and that's why we're in California, because he left mm-hmm. after he left there. Mm-hmm. Um, the part I want to reinforce about the history of and the, the training a lot in terms of um, raising sugarcane, there's also raising of food systems. There's food growth that these men are trained to do. However, when they come out, they are not given the opportunity or the resources to translate what they learned in the prison to business, commerce, and benefit for their families and communities. We need their expertise. However, it's trans- there's a gap between that history, that that cultural um, bias, that that history of slavery and uh, being suffering with crops, that is a gap between our people in Africa who brought foods that are native to that country to this country that are part of our our diet, our healthy eating. There's that interruption of crops and overseers and slavery is 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 a is damaging us in our current need for agriculture of having our hands in the soil and growing our own food and nourishing our bodies our families our systems with fresh produce that gives us life that is not genetically modified that it doesn't get shipped out of season, you know. So there, there, there's a there's resources that get disconnected from those those men who are trained in so many ways um, when they return to us in our communities that could be um, taken advantage of and could be beneficial to them. And, and their reconnection to us and us and our connection to them in learning from what they know and do and were able to do. And that was Asante Salam. This is Kalamu Ya Salam. Asante is my daughter. And uh, <laughs> I don't need to say a word. She takes care of business. Wanda, we thank you for the opportunity <laughs> to broadcast what's going on in New Orleans. If you have any other questions, we gladly uh, respond to them. But we really appreciate you taking the time to set up uh, this interview. Oh, no problem. Yeah, usually um, every year um, since uh, for 16 years, I'd always do, um, um, well, not not 16 years back, 
because we were doing things face-to-face here. But we have a report back about what was going on in New Orleans, you know, post-Katrina. So the 29th doesn't roll through without me wondering or thinking. It's just this year I didn't schedule um, a radio show on the Friday preceding the 29th. Um, but, yeah, uh, my audience here in the Bay Area is is very familiar with um, the workings, the political, cultural um sort of what's happening in, in, in New Orleans and in the region. Um, I was wondering, um, you know, because I'm, I'm a New Orleans native as well, what's going on with the schools? Are they shut down? <laughs> and and I wondered, was the electricity um, outage, is it, is it just New Orleans proper, or is it everywhere? It's the whole metro went? area. Yes, the okay. metro area, the schools in Orleans Parish, New Orleans, because the parish, okay. which mm-hmm. is the county, and the city yes. are contiguous. They're one in the same, um, mm-hmm. and we're adjacent to what's called Jefferson Parish on both sides of the river, the West, okay. West Bank and the East Bank. And what is mm-hmm. going on in New Orleans proper, the mm-hmm. whole school system is now privatized. There is no more Orleans Parish school system. Mm-hmm. public school system is privatized and that means that when you try to get things done in New Orleans through the schools you got to go to each individual school our charter system because we have charter management organizations who run um, from one to more schools or campuses under their corporate offices for mm-hmm. taking over the public schools that were in the New Orleans public school system so there's no simple way to, to to even address the question. One or two schools might be doing one thing, and another school across the street is doing something else. You know, mm-hmm. and it's 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 this is a rough. New Orleans is in many ways a petri dish for different things that they've tried out. And without going too deep into it, geographically, New Orleans is not just at the bottom of the United States, it's in the middle of the United States. And between the Rocky Mountains and the Appalachian Mountains, all the major rivers drain into the Mississippi River. So if you're in Colorado and you throw a stick in the water, or if you're in Indiana and you throw a stick in the water, don't mention Chicago, all of that flows right past New Orleans coming down here. And New Orleans geographically is the center of a lot of trade, and New Orleans also was the northernmost part of the Caribbean, and New Orleans had the connection to South America. I could go into a whole lot of I won't go into all of that, but that's part of what makes the whole COVID question and the whole question of Ida so difficult to deal with because it's not just a national question. This is really an international question when you talk about New Orleans. Yeah, wow. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, this is hecka complicated. So you said, um, if I'm if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, um, to just hold tight on on um, I guess learning about that if where you, yeah, if you to have send resources. resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
please, we, we like, the time will come when the resources mm-hmm. are, can drive in, ship in, mm-hmm. uh, um, virtually arrive um, in different ways that mm-hmm. it's very important, very, very, very important for folks. Set it aside, collect and convene amongst yourselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, stand by at the ready, uh, think mm-hmm. about what connections you can make. And as Baba Malik said, as Baba Kalamu said, there and between the two of them, they know a plethora of people <laughs> that are resources that will be distributing. Yeah. We already had conversations with some of our, you know, cultural and community family leaders who are putting stuff together for elders or children or homes and how to work together. So we aren't necessarily in a place to receive things right now, but when we are, we'll be happy to be receptive. Okay, cool. And so um, if I could just check back with you and just uh, um, say, okay, are yes, you ready ma'am. yet? Give me a list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. Yeah, because I was just thinking, because um, Malik was mentioning, um, you know, how you could bring in the energy. Um and then I'm thinking about organizations like you mentioned, Veterans for Peace. So we get the organization if they're if they're vetted and large enough, then they know how to be safe, you know, as they come into this, you know, to the vicinity where, you know, you have to be careful about your own health. Right. And I would this say is right a pandemic. Now, right now, I would encourage people that want to help help yourself wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Organize wherever you are, where, wherever there's a, whatever program or whatever. That'll help us in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Right. Because, Wanda, if you had a check for $1,000 <laughs> and you sent it to Kalamu, ain't nothing I can do with it. There ain't no electricity. Right. I want yeah. $1,000, but I can't do nothing with it right now. And so what mm-hmm. we need to do is people need to help themselves Wherever they are, organize wherever you are. And help people who need, who are near you. There are people right near you in your vicinity and circle out from there. Mm -hmm. Your neighbor, your family, your community. I know Mm -hmm. it sounds sounds backwards. You're interviewing two people down here in New Orleans, well, three people down here in New Orleans, and everybody's Mm -hmm. concerned about it because the hurricane hit. And we're telling y'all to organize where you, wherever you are. Um, mm-hmm. We appreciate the help. And like I say, I want that $1,000 from you, Wanda, but uh, I can't I do it. I want the 10000 and the more that people have and want to share. And mm-hmm. it's very important as a people, wherever we are, that we are doing what we can to help each other and help ourselves. we got to put the masks on ourselves first mm-hmm. and then ripple out. Right. That's right. the COVID mask we're talking about. We ain't talking about Zoom. Yeah. We're talking about COVID. <laughs> and we ain't talking about airplanes because air, airports require electricity. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, an, that's an amazing, amazing airport you all have, that new one. Oh, my goodness. I flew into it um, for the Slave Rebellion reenactment, um, I guess, three years yeah. ago this year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So to think about, you know, about our ancestors and their organizing, you know, um, under under the cover of of nighttime, and how how they were, you know, marching for freedom or 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 death, you know. Yeah. Well, we sure appreciate you taking the time out to do this, Wanda, and, and uh, stay strong and keep broadcasting. And we're here. <laughs> oh, certainly. Ain't going right, nowhere. Cool. We've got more like the Mardi Gras Indians. Be right here when the morning come. I ain't going to run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, it's been really great. And thank you so much for, um, you know, for introducing me to your, your daughter, uh, Sante. It's been really um, uh, wonderful having you as a part of the conversation. Uh, a lot of times, thank you, you know, Rhonda. we don't have women's voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I found... I looked you up. I found a really nice um uh your art um uh at Joan Mitchell Foundation. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. a residency I did last year or 2 years ago, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they I have so, a so I link, Foundation. I link to that. Yeah, they're based in New York, but they have a center here in New Orleans. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, the residency was last year, 2020. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. All righty. Well, you'll be in my thoughts and our prayers, and um, and you know we are certainly um, allies. So, if I don't get in touch with you and you have something you want to share, you know, please feel free, and I will share Malik's information with you, so you all can be in direct um, contact. Perfect. Thank you. All right. You take good care. All right. Okay. Peace and blessings. Yes, 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 onward. Mm-hmm, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> Take care. You too, peace and blessings. Ah, wow. So um, with that, I am going to um, uh, to reflect on, on these conversations we've had this, this morning and... Um, and uh see how you know we can get the word out about what's happening in uh in New Orleans uh specifically in the Gulf and uh and organize here. Yeah, you take good care. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Peace and blessings. <laughs>